This is a heterosexual top 40 song, and then all of a sudden, look at my dick. Who said that? What happened? Apologize. That just popped out. No pun intended, you fucks. You filthy animals. He's back from Italy, ladies and gentlemen, and I'm back from the south of France. Wow, man. We both went to Europe. Are Very we cultured? cultured. Very cultured. Did you drink wine over there? Of course I did. Did you were you did you contact the sommelier and and then just let him know how much you know? No, I didn't need to because I was with a very rich friend. So we just mm. I just threw a dart at his cellar and I took out <laughs> insanely good wines. And oh, he's I was one of those guys. Oh, forget it. I was like and I was I was I was saying shit like this. I was like, "Oh, I smell nutmeg and pencil." <laughs> Because that's what I've heard people say. <laughs> Did they get mad at you? Yeah, of course they get mad at me. <laughs> and then I took a, then I, and I, I sipped some white wine. And I went, whoa, I feel like I just got hit in the head with, by a farmer. <laughs> I love saying dumb shit like that. Dude, try Have you this. ever been to a wine tasting? Of course. Like, like it, one of those, those like parties where they all get around yeah. and they all talk about it? Uh-huh. You know what I, I heard a sommelier say? He goes, well. you, uh, trust me on this wine. I said, why? Because I was going to order our white wine. He goes, it, it's unique. I said, well, describe it. He goes, it's like biting into a wet dog. <laughs> I was like, hey, that's exactly what I feel like doing. Every so time I see a wet dog. Hung. He was telling you that it's good? Yeah. Yeah. It's like getting, getting biting into a wet dog. What People just say dumb that? shit. I mean, I like good wine. It tastes yeah. good. I like that. Yeah. But there's a, there's a part of me that rejects the the fucking the it, nonsense so hard that as I well won't it should. learn anything as well it should <laughs> you should always reject that horseshit but it's 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 so fucking pretentious of course it's pretentious it's like the most pretentious I mean right? you hear these you hear the way they describe it it it, it really holds your palate prisoner mm. it holds your palate prisoner but here's the good news in a velvet casing oh. in a velvet speaking of velvet casings I was at a restaurant once a very fine restaurant a very fine Italian restaurant yeah and a gentleman walked in with a briefcase with two bottles of wine in uh-huh. velvet in the briefcase, I had to resist the chimpanzee urge to leap over the table and smash him in his fucking head with that case. But here's the thing. Here's the thing about that. Here's the thing. Here's the reason I support him, because I'm such a freak for wine. You cannot send a thousand dollar bottle of wine. Uh, you can't ship it because a lot of times they put it in the hull of a ship. And it comes through, say, the Suez Canal. It gets it hot. Might be, yeah, it might be 150 Ooh, degrees in that yeah, hole. not good. And it's below it or above the water line, you're in trouble. Oh, so they fly fucked. that wine. You can be fucked. Yeah, you but, fly it. But this guy, suitcase. he just was bringing it to a restaurant. It's kind of a dick. This kind of, it's kind of a weird move when you bring your own food to a restaurant. I agree. I mean, you drink, I guess it's a drink, but it's not like you bring your own tomatoes. Excuse me, could you tell the chef to chomp these tomatoes? Yeah. Uh, parallel with the floor. I've never brought my own one. Mm. It's a little. It's it's obnoxious Cut to the establishment. Name. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, it is weird. And then they have a corkage fee. <clears throat> they charge yeah. you to open your wine. Yeah, thirty five dollars. Mm. That's very reasonable. Well, especially if you're bringing a thousand dollar bottle of wine. Yeah, but I don't understand why one wine. I do understand, but I don't understand why someone is willing to pay. But I do understand it. I do because yeah. you want to be a part of that fuckhead club. Well, <laughs> if you're and if you're a freak like me and you like wine on that level, when you really pay attention, it it, it for me, I actually it's. I don't even know how to describe it. It's literally an experience, right? I tell you. So my buddy, I went to see, who's made more money than God. 
And this is why he's uh, worth. I don't know God if I told has you this. All the money. You know what I mean. No. He has as much money as Bruce Springsteen, almost. Really? And uh, probably. And uh, he uh, super rich. And he, I told you that he said we're going to open this this wine that Robert Parker gave a hundred out of a hundred and called it one of the wines of the century. Who's Robert Parker? Robert Parker is the critic who sets the standard. There are a lot of I other critics. I hate that you know that. Yeah, I know. I'm terrible. It really bothers me. Yeah, I know. But you, when you see an RP, Robert Parker, and it says a 93, 94, oh, 95, you're paying a lot of money. I want to hang out with Robert Parker. Well, he's a guy, and I think he's from Maryland, and he's an American dude, and he's got his taste. It doesn't mean he's right. It just means he knows wine, and he set the standard. Now there are more people, but for the most part, when Robert Parker gives your wine a 95 or above- There he is. Look at him. Oh, my is. God. Look I want to hit him with a brick. <laughs> Look at him. Hey, yeah. Oh, my God. Do you think he says snarky things when you go to dinner with him? Well, he, he'll he say, for example, the wine I was drinking, he called it a centurion wine, one of the mm. wines of the- s -s -s Century. Oh God! So don't try to please don't try to buy it because you know you can't find it. Is he the Tony Hawk of wine connoisseurs? Yes, he is. Because nobody knows anyone that skates other than Tony Hawk. That's that's actually that's exactly who he is. That's uh, exactly who he is. Like and the Lance Armstrong of wine. Yes, and there are people who are trying to make their way and and real critics, but for the most part, he's still the man. How much does that piss people off who who ride bikes? Who like are really good, yeah, and no one gives a fuck about them because they're not Lance Armstrong. <laughs> There's one guy. Who well, won. Had, there was Greg LeMond for a while. Yeah. Remember, he was also an American. We yeah. remember him, but yeah. no, nobody. Yeah, nobody, nobody I, else. I think part of it's also because he was an American and so dominant. Yeah, and, and it's not. You know, Americans don't watch bike racing. I could never stand on the sideline and be like, you, uh, uh, hundred more miles, keep pedaling, hundred more miles, keep pedaling. You know, it, here's a water. Want an orange? I, I'm not that guy. Life right. is too short to watch a fucking bike race. It's definitely too short to be watching on the sidelines, like waiting. It's that, That's how I feel about marathons. But Europeans are so different than we are in that sense. Europeans obsess over Formula One. They obsess over... That's different, though. Yeah. Formula One is fucking wild. Yeah, it's wild. You ever seen those videos they do from inside the cockpit of a Formula One yeah. car? Yeah. Whoa! It's, it's crazy. But there's some lightning-fast decision-making going on there. But when Senna died... If you look at the mm. streets of Brazil for his funeral, it was something that you would never see in the United States. If, right. if a great race car driver, like say a great NASCAR driver, you wouldn't see, I think it was some crazy number of people that showed up in the streets of Brazil. Well, the Brazilians are insanely nationalistic. Yeah. They, they love their country. They're very, very patriotic. So when someone comes along like Senna, who dominates something that's traditionally a European-dominated yeah. sport like yeah. Formula One, and he was a wild man. Yeah. You ever see that documentary on him? I didn't. There, look at that funeral. Wow. Look at that. And he was uh you know, he was the guy who who could have been a playboy, but he never really messed with girls. He was he was a he was a, a samurai. He was dedicated. Yeah. Was well like his zen. his ability to shave milliseconds, you know, and just to, to take crazy chances and cut people off and oh Yeah. Jesus Christ. That precision. But that's a that is something that I don't know anything about it, but I'm sure when you follow it and that sort of those those millimeters, those differences mm. are what make everything you know yeah. when you have a cultivated sense when you know what you're looking at and what looking for it's uh it must be very enjoyable well they have a, a deep connection with how much traction there is exactly on those tires feel like they feel it kicking out like they they, they literally say with race car drivers that you have to have an educated ass 
Damn, really? Yeah, your ass has to be able to feel when your car is breaking loose. Like, if you were a race car driver and you had a numb ass, yeah. you'd probably be fucked. Wow. Like, if you had, like, sciatica or something, yeah. your ass went numb, which I would imagine it would be a real problem with someone who sits down all the time. Yeah. Like, like truck drivers, right? They get sciatica all the time. But, but race car drivers, it's so physical. Mm. You know, yeah, it's such a physical, they lose so much water. They lose, like, something like seven pounds of water or something in, in a race. Oh, I'd imagine. Something crazy. They sweat like a pig. Yeah. It's hot as fuck. They don't have air conditioning in that thing. Yeah, they're just There's a giant engine. <laughs> They're flying down the it's road. Crazy! Oh, it's mad. That's so interesting, though. You have to have an educated ass. Yeah. Because I, I think horseback riding. If you watch high, high level jumpers, they you know are dressage guys. Mm. They they it's the same exact thing. It's all feel, and right. it literally looks like they're doing nothing. So the difference between the best in the world and the number three hundred, you and I could never tell the difference because they don't look like they're doing anything. Right. Literally, they just they look like for me they look like they're sitting upright, very still. Why I could never ride a horse, and just there's nothing going on. But the details, those little, like where they place the micro, how they micromanage that saddle, yeah. and and the signals they're sending to the horse with their hands, their legs, and their ass is a whole different thing. That's so often the case, though, with things where things look effortless because the people that are awesome at them yeah. do it so smoothly yeah. that it just you know you can't appreciate it unless you you actually do it. That's what I love about. Life. That's literally what I love about, you know, and it sounds silly, but you can touch a little of that in anything you do mm. when you, um, you know, when you practice something you're not good at. So tennis, I always talk about tennis and boxing. Am I good at boxing and tennis? No. Do I obsess over where my feet are? Do I obsess over my grip with the right? It's, it's, I swear to God, the actual, maybe the actual uh, activity is secondary to how I love to work on the little mm. details and get better through daily attendance, through daily practice, because something happens to me that reaches beyond that sport. So when I do something that I'm maybe a little afraid of, or maybe I'm not good at, it forces me to think in a way that informs the other things in my life that I make a living at. I do better at stand up. I write better when I push myself in these other areas. It's really interesting. Yeah, it totally makes sense because I, I think very difficult endeavors, you know, whatever, whatever it is that you're trying to do, any fucking dance. Yeah. If you were trying to be a ballerina. Which I, I am. Are you? Yeah, keep going. I thought you were uh, done with that. Uh, ballet is my foundation, but I'm so passionate. <laughs> I live, I li there's too much equator in me. I live in my groin, so I, I had to move to salsa and merengue. Well, people that get really get into jiu-jitsu say that as well. Bourdain's been saying that a lot, that you know, getting into it is, uh, to him, it's a lot like writing in some ways, mm -hmm. or it's, it's almost like a meditation, mm -hmm. and it completely obsessed. A lot, a lot of people that get into jujitsu become completely obsessed with it too, and it's for those same reasons. Like, you get obsessed first of all with how deep the rabbit hole goes. Yes. And I think that's probably the same with tennis or with golf. It's most certainly the same. I've never played golf, but I know the people that. It's play exactly it. the same thing. I talked to Will Durkee. Will Durkee, you know, uh, he won. Uh, he took second in the Tenth uh, Planet uh, Jiu-Jitsu tournament over in uh, in Austin. He's amazing. He's a professional poker player as well, and he was oh. a D1 wrestler. I think out of Virginia. And, you know, watching him, um, he lost to uh, uh, another guy who's really good, but, but just barely. And when you watch those high-level high level competition black belts, which mm. I've never seen, the subtlety, I don't even see what they're doing. I don't even see them tapping the guy. Right. But he was talking to me about how much he loves games and why poker and jiu-jitsu inform each other. Well, you know Josh Waitzkin? Same the, thing. Yeah, same thing with chess and jiu-jitsu. He's a jiu-jitsu yeah. phenomenal. 
phenom. Well, phenomenal. he's trying to. I think he has a school where he teaches kids how to think. He yeah. calls it. He teaches them how to learn through martial arts, math. Uh, no, martial arts, music, and chess. I believe, mm. and it's all kind of the same. It's kind of the same thing. It's kind of why I feel like a lot of times I do think there's a place for self-help and, you know, inspiration when you're young. But after a while, you know, just trying to get really good at something under proper tutelage, I think will teach you all of those things. Maybe. But there's a lot of people that just try to get good at it. They never get good at it. That probably would do better if they had better pathways to think. Yes. If they learned how to... Well, I think first it, what someone like Tony Robbins does, because I've listened to a lot of his tapes when I was younger, and what I, what I, I was all set to make fun of him because I was trying to write this uh, parody on him. And then I listened to him and I went, oh, this motherfucker knows exactly how my brain works. I mean, in a lot of ways, he simplifies... And he has tools that helped help me um, <clears throat> focus my energy and recognize recognize certain patterns, yeah, recognize well, certain unhelpful patterns. It's very important mm. is having pathways in your mind, mm. like abandoning negative thoughts, concentrating on positive ones, abandoning nonsense, concentrating on... I mean, that's a lot of what traps are that people fall into, like addictive traps, whether it's gambling or, you know, whatever, fill in the blank, pornography. Like, I was watching this whole thing the other day where people were coming out against pornography and pornography addiction. Like, and they were talking about how harmful pornography is. No, no, your fucking mind is harmful. Exactly. Pornography is people having sex and sex is awesome. So shut up. There's a great, there's a I'm dean. I'm tired of that. I, I'm right. Well, but you can simplify it this way. There's a dean who said, I am not interested. It's it's less important what you think. What I want to know is how you think. Yeah. And and you're talking about methodology. It's it's how, it's exactly what you're saying. It's how you think about life and how you think about things. So you may be a slave to certain pathways, and learning how to reprogram your your pathways is a way way more important thing. So it's not so much that it's pornography that's the enemy. Yes. It's it's the methodology. Yeah, pornography is just sex. And by the way, we're just talking about regular pornography. There, there's certain pornography that you go, okay, what the fuck is that for? <laughs> like, wh why does yeah. anybody need to see people spit in people's eyes and cum in people's noses and yeah. stuff? Like, there's a lot of really fucked up pornography. But I always equate that to, like, the same thing was, like... If you watch certain violent movies, it's yeah. almost like they are the product of the ramping up effect. Like that's every right. other violent movie that's come before them, they've had to go further and further and further to the point where it's just totally ridiculous. That's exactly right. I mean, it's not entertaining. It's not good. It's just there. It's a response to like taking it to the next level. The guy who wrote the double helix, quote unquote, for the for a serial killer, for the making of a serial killer, a guy named Richard Walter, who's an FBI profiler, brilliant guy. He said that um, serial killers will typically, and this is from literally interviewing 20,000, 30,000 prisoners, uh, many of whom were murderers, violent criminals. And he put together this profile, which was that serial killers many times start as with fetishes. They'll start with, you know, feet, really feet. feet. St well, a lot of times it can be as, as innocuous mm. as rubbing against people in public places. Oh. Uh, and then what? And then you, you graduate. Then that doesn't do it for you anymore. And then you have to go into a store Ooh. and cut leather jackets with a razor because you might get caught, but it's like skin, Ooh. all that stuff. And, and what he said was that you never, once you get to one level, you never can go back. You have to go forward. You don't see them go, all right, this is too much. Let me go back to rubbing against people 
on you a say never? I mean, don't, don't some people, like, is there people that are potential serial killers that go, what the fuck am I doing in my life? I need to just... I don't know. Take yoga. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But I do know that there have been some studies about how uh, less, <laughs> there are, I guess, a lot of serial killers or maniacs are doing less of that stuff because they can they can get more of it through a simulated environment. Well, that was the argument that the Japanese had, or some Japanese scholars had, about pornography. Is that Japanese porn is, is I might be wrong about this, that it's more embraced in that when you look at like deviant behavior, it's more embraced in films and things like that, and that sort of keeps them from doing it in real life. Yeah, I, I would imagine that you can get satiated visually. You have those those visual yeah. triggers. They say that the triggers for fighting, you know, when you watch MMA, there are a lot of those visual triggers for men that are similar to what pornography does to a man. When we see two dudes kicking each other and knocking each other out. We want to do it. Yeah, or right. at least we can't take our eyes off it. Yeah, we definitely can't take our eyes off of it. Um, but I think that also it's possible that that could, like they say that about video games, like the argument against video games has always been that video games encourage violence, but it shows that the actual facts show that it's the opposite is true, that video games actually get people involved in the violence of video games and it satisfies whatever weird cravings people might have for mm -hmm. violence, which are, you know, left over from thousands and thousands of years of DNA of people being successful in violence being rewarded for it you violence was a way you survived yeah you know, think the, about hunting well the coliseum man i went to the coliseum this week yeah I've been and there. oh my god yeah that is a fucking trip first of all i did not know that the coliseum literally means next to the colossus i didn't know that. it was all about there was a gigantic i think it was 150 foot high bronze statue of nero that he had constructed wow. well you know the entire coliseum was nero's house at one point in time. It, w it didn't exist. Hmm. It was like, there's like seven areas of Rome, like seven hills of Rome yes. or something like yeah. that. And his fucking house was three of them. Damn. His house had an enormous, I think it was like more than a hundred acre lake in the backyard of his house, a man-made lake. Wow. And that man-made lake, like to drain it, the drainage system to build that lake they're, they, they're just discovering some of the areas of the Coliseum today. God so what damn. they did is, when they tore down his house, they built the Coliseum for the people. And it was like one of the biggest public buildings ever. And they built it to satisfy the people that were just fucking furious that this cunt had yeah. taken over. Who burned Rome. Oh, he was just insane. I mean, yeah. Nero was just fucking completely insane. But what they had done with his his structure was turned into this Coliseum, but it was right next to this enormous statue of him. Mm. So when you say like the LA Coliseum, that's a stupid name. Right. Because the LA next to the, Col next the, to the Colossus, yeah, that doesn't Colossus. even make any sense. Yeah. But that's what Coliseum means. Right. It's wild when you go to Italy and especially Rome and you're standing in structures that have been there for and and were living yeah. and had you know people died on that it was kind of like the oh, octagon yeah. the original octagon you know well way more fucked up than uh, yeah. that yeah here's one of the things they found out just recently like really recently that they had boat fights they would fill the bottom of the coliseum with water wow and they would have boats jesus and they would get, and they've literally just discovered this <clears throat> they discovered some sort of a um some sort of artwork or something, some writing that mm. indicated that these boat fights took place for a very short amount of time, like a couple Fun. of years. How do you do that? Fight each other with your oars? They f row, would have battles. Row. They would have battles. Here it is. They would, this, they would fill up 
powerful, Jamie. They would fill up the bottom with uh, two meters of water, six feet of water, and have these boats and float these boats around, and they would fight to the death on boats. How the fuck would they do that? I guess the walls kept the water in. Why? I, I guess they'd How would they drain it, though? Well, they had a, a very complex drainage system. Like, they showed the drainage system to us. when they take you on a tour, you know? Mm. And uh, they were showing us the drainage system and also the system of raising the wild animals from the basement up it, through the floor. Yeah, how would they do that? They had this thing where these uh, they had a reenactment or, or, or a recreation of one that uh, I took some photos of. I put one of the photos on my Instagram. And these wild animals would be locked in these rooms, right? These small rooms. They would give them no food, no water. And they'd keep them there for days. So they'd be freaking out and starving. And then finally, they'd take them out of the dark. They put them, uh, they force them into this platform. And then they would have these slaves crank this mechanism that would lift the platform up through a trap door in the floor. So their first light in days, Jesus. and they would be out there with these gladiators. And, Brutal. Uh, and the bottom floor, like they had several levels and the bottom level was all the rich people but they fucked up and they didn't have the walls high enough so the lions would leap 12 feet over the wall Holy and shit. just jack all these rich people jesus just <laughs> jesus christ <laughs> now the wall take it the wall yeah yeah so um it's I like mean, the san francisco zoo and that tiger jumped that 12 foot wall exactly yeah jesus. well they had to figure out how to do it too because they would get these animals in there, and most of the time they'd let the animals out, and the animals would be just fucking scared. They didn't want to fight. Yeah. So they, they realized that by keeping them down there with no food and no water and getting them to a complete state, state of, of hysteria, desperation yeah. and hysteria, that would allow them to ensure that when they popped that trap door, the lions would come out and just try to jack people. Brutal. Yeah, they would kill everything. They had elephants. They had all, all sorts of crazy fucking animals that they had brought in from Africa, which, by the way, is... Not even a thousand um, yeah, miles away. Yeah, I, I had no idea. Africa oh, was so close. You can to see Italy. it. For, yeah. You can see it. You can, you know, really? I think, well, you can see what are you, Sarah Palin. You can see Africa from Sicily, I believe. You can see Africa from uh, there. Uh, you can see it. Correct. Yeah, like with, on clear days. Wow, that's I crazy. Believe, correct that doesn't me if make I'm wrong. Sense. It seems like too many miles. No, there are certain parts of. Oh, okay. Let me look at a map. I can't remember. That seems like way. There too was one far. area you can see from Spain, from the tip of Spain, maybe. Hmm. I think I can't remember. E either way. Somebody will correct me. But kind of crazy. Can, yeah. What? Sicily and Spain says you can. Yeah. You, you, see, you see it from Sicily like mountains Spain. or something? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. See, that's crazy. So How crazy is that that that's that close? It is. Well, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Look, look, look at Sicily. That. Look at how close it is. Wow, it's really close. Yeah. Sicily's not attached, but I don't know why they have it. Why do they have it yeah, attached? That's, that's really weird. That's a shitty map. Yeah. Here's the view. Oh, what? Yeah. That's Africa? Yeah, you can see it. It's that close? No wonder why the Moors conquered Sicily. Exactly. They're right there. Exactly. It's not like they traveled. No. They got in a fucking raft. <laughs> floated over. They backstroked all the way over. And jacked everybody. Uh -huh. But uh, it's fucking beautiful. It's so beautiful, man. Oh, yeah. God damn. The Amalfi so many, Coast? That's where we went. <laughs> we went there, too. We did uh, the Amalfi Coast. We did the Vatican. The Vatican's insane. Did you do the Vatican? I did. It's insane. First well, it's, of all, it's one of the seven wonders, man. Well, uh, the fact that you're walking around on this fucking tile that's 1,700 years old. It's incredible. It's and in it all holds up. Mosaic. Yeah. And, I mean, beautiful artwork that everybody's walking on. Yeah. 
like the guy was explaining to us that like this is a 17 year 100 year old work of art not only that it was moved from somewhere else and reconstructed hundreds of years ago inside the vatican it wasn't even originally there damn i i never ever i've been to saint peter's cathedral I don't know, maybe 10 times. Because my uncle used to live there. And he had a rent-controlled apartment over the Piazza Navona, which is Your really Your uncle close. used to live in Rome? Yes. My what uncle, was he doing there? My uncle was uh, in, in Brooklyn, New York, in Bensonhurst, New York. My uncle was a gay man. Uh, and he was very handsome. He was a diver. And, uh, <laughs> yep. And he was... Uh, but, of course... Um, he was an actor and a singer and a dancer. And, of course, in Bensonhurst, you know, in Bensonhurst, Brooklyn, in the, I don't know, let's call it the, what? Uh, 50s? 30s? 40s? 30s? When you were gay, you, you know, it wasn't, first Tough of all, sell. you were very Catholic, so that was already a sin. Mm. Second of all, you weren't really that welcome. There wasn't a whole lot of uh, gay pride. Everybody want to march? Uh, so he went to Italy. He went to Rome. Wow. And, uh, and lived there. he knew he could be accepted? Yeah. Well, he found his little niche. He got into the theater company there mm, and uh, spoke Italian, of course, and uh, had of a course. and lived for and he died at ninety six and lived above the Piazza Navona in a rent controlled penthouse. Did he die from that dicks? the Vatican owned. <laughs> he Did didn't he, die. No, sir. I'm going to ask you to be a little more mature. We have a lot of people listening. He did not die from dicks, uh, but he was a he was a character man. And he did lots of plays. In did Rome. you know that the Vatican owns the building that houses Europe's largest gay bathhouse? I did not know yeah. that, but I also don't believe you because is that a, is that a matter of uh, is that a matter of a conjecture or no? It's fact. It's probably a bathhouse now. If no, are... it's the largest gay bathhouse in Europe, and the Vatican owns it. Not only that, oh, I see, I see. The, yeah. the there's the cardinals or the bishops or whose fucking office is right above the gay bathhouse. Conveniently, <laughs> conveniently, you know, there's a fucking chute that just drops. They down. own they, a lot of property. They just lube up their butt and drop down <laughs> through the floor and whoop. <laughs> Look at this. Vatican plays landlord to Europe's biggest gay bathhouse. Catholic Church paid $30 million to acquire a building that houses a senior cardinal and a huge gay sauna. Nothing How that. weird. It's so weird. That, uh, I mean, I don't know why they would want to own that. I don't know. Because you want to sweat while you get your dick worked? <laughs> while you get your dick worked by strong man hands? That's all. The amount of artwork that is in the Vatican, like if you haven't been there before, like I was not that excited about going to the Vatican before I went there. Yeah. I was like, well, I want to see the Colosseum. Obviously, it's like one of the great wonders of history, like that they had this thing there and that they did this. And mm. that it's also like the ultimate sign of excess, you know, yeah. like the, the one thing that people point to when they talk about societies falling apart due to excess is the Romans. The Romans, they went crazy. Like It was also sort of what gave food to the Reformation when Martin Luther, this German mm -hmm. Jesuit priest, said, hey, man, all this money that's going to, you know, idolatry, essentially, like building these incredible statues and these incredible cathedrals and we're starving over here how about if we just read the bible if we just read the bible then maybe we'll be you know just as in favor with god as you guys and maybe we don't need a hierarchy of bishops and all these and popes and all this sort of rank and file that also needs a salary that's also taking money well martin luther was also <clears throat> the first guy to translate the bible phonetically so that regular people could read it because everybody else was like, mm -hmm. no one knew Latin. They right. couldn't read Latin. That's right. So it was only these 
priests that we had to rely on to, to get the word of God from. Mm-hmm. And Martin Luther was like, that's ridiculous. But as luckily, Martin Luther had such a high standing in society that they couldn't kill him. Right. They or tried. They, he had to leave. Yeah. He was always on the run, but you're right. But it was if he was anyone else, if he wasn't like a very respected, high standing person in society, they probably would have jacked him a long time ago. Yeah. That there there was already um, from what I I can't remember I read a lot about it back in the day but um, he was always under threat of that he had to essentially I think it was in Wittenberg. There's this uh, phrase that people always associate with Rome called the vomitorium, mm-hmm. and uh, that's not what it sounds like. Like everybody thinks that they got there and they threw up and then they went back and ate again. Mm-hmm. That's not what they did. I always thought they did that. Yeah, no, the vomitorium refers to the way they got people out of the stadium. It had nothing to do with the word vomit. Oh, huh. It's the way the stadium is structured is this gigantic, that's a vomitorium, is the, the, the exit. So they had all these exits. They had a bunch of different doors all throughout the building. Like mm-hmm. if you, you look at like some images of the Coliseum, there's all these pathways. Like you would go, you know, 30 yards over, there's another pathway. 30 yards over, there's another pathway. And that allowed an efficient way of getting people, see like look at all the doorways. See all those doorways wow. all around it? That, that was an efficient method of getting people out of the stadium. So they called it a vomitorium, but uh, like if you look the etymology of the word, like look up the the origins of the word vomitorium and what it means in Latin, but it doesn't have anything to do with vomit, mm. but sounds like it. So mm-hmm. everybody was like, oh, they, they just fucking ate and threw up. So people right. like sort of repeated that over and over and over again. They'd stick a feather down their throat. I'm sure someone did that. Yeah. I'm sure there was some fat that fuck that today. wanted to keep partying. That happens right now oh, in yeah. Los Angeles. Yeah. Fuck yeah. yeah. I used to date a girl who had a problem with that. So did I. Yeah. A okay, lot a of vomitorium. Them. Okay, here it was. A place which, according to popular misconception, the ancient Romans were supposed to have vomited. That's not true. Um, the arch of a series of entrances or exit passways in an ancient Roman amphitheater or theater. Yeah. See, that's what it really means. So the popular misconception, the second v- version of it, but translate, use over time. What, what is the origins of the word, though? Like, what does that mean? Vomitoria is the plural noun. Huh. That's weird. That's the plural. Vomitoria. Well, probably, probably, you know, it sounds like it's where people would vomit out of, right? Yeah, They'd... but it's not vomit. That's mm. not, it's like, that's our word, yeah, but that's not like what they would call it. Right. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, our word vomit is puke, mm-hmm. but that's not what they were referring to when they were calling it a vomitorium. It's just one of those weird Latin things. Mm. But everybody always thinks that. Everybody thinks that that's what a vomitorium was. Like, can you imagine if there was a fucking house that people would go to throw up in? Yeah. Like, hey, let's, we're going to go to the vomitorium. <laughs> fucking puke. Like, what kind eat of assholes? Eat. Here's a feather. But Sp- you would call it the puke house? Yeah. Like, that is so ridiculous. The puke room. <laughs> the vomitorium. The puke room, the sauna room. What is the actual, does it say? Jamie? It says here there's two misinterpretations, or where it might have came from, the misinterpretation. Well, yeah, but what is the original, what does the actual word mean, like vomitorium? It just, uh, it, did, it sounds like it's it, the entrance. Spew, so it just yeah, means right here, yeah, to spew, spew forth. forth. 
Oh, to spew forth. To spew forth. And I wonder if vomit, vomit actually came from that then. Oh, for sure. Probably. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. So the original thing was an exit, and then vomit became that. Yeah. Huh, that's interesting. It's kind of how language happens, right? Yeah, but that's, it's, well, it's weird how it happens over thousands of years, how things distort and warp. Yeah, that's how my language is always changing. Yeah. It's always changing. We're, we're always making up our own languages. It's constant. Well, yeah. we were there. They had just found some new shit two days before we were there. They're constantly finding yeah. like new path passages mm -hmm. underneath the Colosseum and new things. But the the amount of work that was done in completing that building and and, and making those structures it's insane with free labor, insane. which is why slavery isn't that bad. Huh? <gasps> what? Oh, Wait a minute. Dear. It's interesting that slavery was the order of the day. It was yeah. for, for most of history. Most okay, of but, history. but when you look at like wage slavery today, when you, I mean, there's no slavery today, but if you can imprison people in a state of poverty, mm -hmm. right? And it's not, not against their will, right? Mm -hmm. Voluntarily. Right. You get people hooked on buying things and you get them hooked on credit. So they, they need to work, they constantly need to work, and then they're in these jobs that are completely dead-end, low-wage jobs where they can't go anywhere, and then they perform these menial tasks until we figure out robots that can do those tasks far better and far more efficient. And it's not slavery, because they can quit and leave anytime they want. But yeah. it, in a lot of ways, it has the same effect. There's a difference, I think. There's a lot of differences. Yeah, I mean, yeah. no, no, I mean, I mean uh, I'm talking about, you know, there's a macro difference. Like, there's, uh, there is some, um, an idea that has gained great traction, and because ideas move really slowly sometimes, but there's an idea that has gained traction in most of the world, and even in parts of the world where it isn't, they try to defend it as it being so. And that is the idea of universal human rights. Universal human rights was not an idea that was embraced by most of the world, even as far back, probably you can make the argument, as 1940. Slavery was alive and well. Think about this country in, its, in itself, this country until 1964, was it? Uh, where there was separate but equal, the idea that you had black and white water fountains, um, brown you know, hundred years before that, which is nothing, slavery. That's right. And so the idea that, and of course that had to be defended along biblical grounds and all these kind of shoddy ideas, but the idea of of universal human rights, even though the Judeo-Christian ethic and even Islam talked about sort of everybody being of the same moral worth because we're all from the same father, right? That's the monotheistic notion and where value comes in those religions. We're all the same as long as you, you know, read the Bible and follow these tenets. But universal human rights is something a little bit different and it's a modern concept. And um, that, like, say, germ theory, the idea that these things you can't see, um, but you still have to wash your hands or you can spread bacteria and things like that. Those things that move very slowly, but that is, I think... How are you, how are you connecting those two? I'm just talking about how, how both those ideas are ideas that took a long time to gain traction, you know, even though they were good for us. And But, but let's stick to, let's stick to um, universal human rights. Yeah, I think that that idea, I think that idea <laughs> is is just that mindset yeah. and the fact that you have to defend it as a society is why there's such a stark difference between, I understand what you're saying by being in bondage to your lifestyle, to having to ma make a living because you got people mm -hmm. to depend on you and stuff like that. I don't think that'll ever go away. But um, there's such a- Oh, that could definitely go away. Th there is you don't a, think that'll go away? 
I think uh, that could definitely go away I the same th- way slavery has gone op- away. I'm optimistic, but what I'm saying is that there's, I think what I'm, like, slaves have zero dignity. Like, right. they, they, in fact, there's no, somebody one time, a historian said, there's no such thing as a slave. Slave, there, there are people in bondage. So anybody who is uh, a slave, you're not a slave, but you are a person in slavery, right? Mm-hmm. So, so like he, he posed this question. He said, when did the civil rights movement begin in this country? And I was like, well, in Selma, Alabama in the you know, 60s and the 50s. No, he said, no, 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 no. He said, the civil rights movement began the first day that an African-American was brought to this country against his will. Any human being doesn't want to be in bondage. You are always trying to get out of bondage. And there is that striving for dignity that I think we're getting closer to. Well, I think, how is it, well, wait a minute. That's slavery. How is that the civil rights movement? This is the first day that someone's brought to the United States words, against their words, will. That's words, not the first day that someone enacted some sort of a civil right well, movement. Well, he, he was being, what he was saying was that, you know, everybody is always fighting for dignity and their own sovereignty and their own civil rights, right. regardless of you know, where they are, if you put someone in bondage and you make them do things against their will and you, you take their dignity away, right. they are immediately they are immediately beginning the struggle for their own freedom. Right, and that's where the conspiracy theories fall into play where modern capitalism is thought of as being some sort of a new way around that. That instead of having people slaves, like literally bonding them, putting them in chains, keeping them against their will. Instead, you just set up these honey traps and you allow people to get sucked into these things like having massive debt from student loans and making credit cards easy and allowing people to mortgage a house they can't really afford, knowing full well that eventually the bank's going to foreclose on this and reap some sort of a profit. And that all these things, this is where conspiracy theories fall into play, that all these things are set up to enact a modern form of slavery. And that there's always going to be people that are taking advantage of people below them and putting them in very disadvantageous situations for their own gain. I would say that that's literally the state of nature. And, and what I mean right. by that is that let, let, let's just take, for example, um, the marketplace. Uh, if you just let people you let people go, let people do the, their thing, they are going to, for example, uh, there's going to be a marketplace for um, differences of opinion. This is what I mean. There's a company. It's about to start up. Uh, you start a company. I don't know what it is. Let's just say it's a, you know, uh, it's a gadget. And you're going to have groups of people on this side that are going to say that's going to be the next big thing. Joe Rogan's company is going to be the next Apple. And you're going to have a bunch of other people on the other side who are going to go, you know what? Uh, not a shot. And here's why. So you have these differences of opinion. Right. There's a marketplace. There's a marketplace for what essentially is a derivative uh, you know, or a swap. There's a marketplace there to where people say, I will bet you. I will short that. I will basically say, I'll buy it at this price right now, and I'll sell it to you. And if it goes up in value, you pay me the difference. That's how, that's how marketplaces work. So for me, capitalism is just a bunch of people with different opinions who are trying to make money, who are coming up with ideas. And if you create a society where you can enforce contracts and make people keep their promises, and you can, you can ensure that people have what's called property rights, which is really important, you know, courts essentially that have integrity that can't be bought off, then that's, as far as I can see, what you'd call a free market capitalist society. And it seems to be better 
than most of the other sort of uh, systems that require central oversight. And because I, not because central oversight is such a bad thing, I just think it's impossible to control you know, the way people think on such a macro scale. I think it's very... Well, very, I don't think you have to control the way people think. Well, or behave, you, or behave, behave, or barter. Well, you know? yeah, I get it. And I, I see what you're saying about capitalism, and I see what you're saying about society. But I, I think that all these things, when we point to ancient Rome, we point to how fucked up their world was and slavery as recently as a couple hundred years ago, I think what we're saying is things are getting better. We're, mm-hmm. we're evolving. We're figuring mm-hmm. out a way to make a society that is more beneficial to more people, but still not to everyone. And then the point is, is it possible to create a utopian society where it's beneficial to virtually everyone? And then the way to do that, the only way to do that is like, like, here's here's a good example. Like, people love to tout socialism as some sort of uh, cure to what ails us. Mm-hmm. You know, that somehow or another that if you get people and you, you give everybody money and you everybody shares wealth equally. But the problem with that cuts out incentive. Incentive for madness and excellence. Exactly. And the, the incentive for madness and excellence is why you have Tesla motor cars and Elon Musk uh-huh. and all these fucking Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs was a fucking maniac. Yes. He was a I mean probably a like, bad dad. Probably probably a, probably, yeah. probably a shitty guy to work for. Yeah. You know, probably a total asshole. If you did something wrong, if you put a one instead of a zero in a line of code and the fucking phone crashed when it hit a thousand emails or whatever, you probably beat the fuck out of you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean he's a maniac. Yeah. But it was because of him that we have iPhones. Well, it's because of that kind of madness. Hundred percent. How and many how many uh, iPhones have you bought that were made in Russia? How many cars have you bought that were made in Russia? Exactly. But in Russia is a, a fucked up example because it's not really socialism. It's really communist dictatorship. Well, now it is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. it kind of was, yeah, yeah. and then it was, and yeah. then it was again. Yeah. It never really recovered. Well, the, the Russians, I think, their problem is they have one idea of power, which is biggest guns. Divert your eyes in my presence. And how, how fucked up is that Russia is getting kicked out of the Olympics? Yeah. You pay attention to this? Yeah, of like, course. They're fucked. They're gonna t- kick the whole team out. Mm-hmm. The whole Russian team. Well, cheating is so. It's so, so systemic. Rampant. It's so systemic. It's it's state sponsored. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it's, it's they've got the KGB apparently, or the, what used to be the KGB involved. Well, and then uh, they have this one woman who's a whistleblower who's gonna compete independently mm-hmm. without a nation. Mm-hmm. How long before they kill her? I know. Good luck with that bitch uh, but, getting but, a but, but fucking that, bottle of water. That's that's Russia's problem. Russia's idea. There are two types of power, right? There's the power that where you can't stop staring at somebody because they have prestige and you want to be like them right that's a power that you can use for good if you have all those eyeballs on you you can you can say hey guys i know you're all looking at me and you do this all the time how many people love you know this how many people download this podcast you're very aware of the responsibility that comes with so you do two things you try to keep it really honest and true to yourself but you also try to have really smart people on who have different perspectives so you can kind of figure out a way to get those ideas out into people's heads that's one form of power that i would consider a positive use then there's the Russian model of power. Well, it's not power; it's influence. Uh, you, I would, I, I think they're very closely related. I think they're joined at the. Hip. Well, they don't. It doesn't control anyone. That's the difference between like the power that Putin has and the power that the nerdist has. Well, so, 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 so exactly. You just used the word. So there's a difference. So there's power that controls, right. and there's power that inspires. 
And I think power that inspires is what this country needs to keep in mind at all times. That's the power. Look, you always need power. You need guns and stuff. They're crazy people. You need a strong military. Well, I think the difference but, is like is you're using a blanket statement mm-hmm. like power. It's like the word drugs. Like caffeine's drugs. So is meth. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like. Mm-hmm. There's power and then there's influence, but there's things that are powerful and then there's things that have power over people mm-hmm. and exactly. c- like to control people like and then people can't do anything about it. That's exactly. that's a difference. That's right. So the word power, the problem is the use of the word power. But remember the also the mindset. I believe that Russia and which is such an amazing with such an amazing group of people, they could do anything they wanted and a strong culture. But I think the mindset of Russians and many in many ways, maybe it's not their fault. Maybe it's a product of their history. Their mindset is that they admire the the first example of power control and strength and dominance more than they admire the power that influences and inspires things that are powerful. And so I, they're like I, Trump supporters. I think so. I think so. They're, <laughs> they're Putin supporters. They like a strong man well, at the helm. And we know that. Trump like Putin and Putin likes Trump? Yes. That's sick. Yes. That's probably not good, right? No, I would imagine no. <laughs> I haven't been paying attention to the Republican National Convention. But you shouldn't. Jamie, but you Jamie shouldn't. did. Yeah. And I, but I am paying attention to the fact that this is, this is what I like about all this stuff. What I like about all this Trump nonsense is it's shown how vulnerable this system is to fuckery. Mm-hmm. That a madman yeah. can come along and just take over the whole thing. Did you see what his fucking right. biographer said? The guy yeah, who he had ghost deep wrote remorse, it? right? Deep remorse. And he said that if Donald Trump becomes president and has the key to the nuclear football, he said he literally could be the end of civilization. He said the book should have been titled, instead, titled, instead of The Art of the Deal, should have been titled uh, The Art of Sociopath. I believe it. Or, or the, the words of a sociopath or something along those lines. But his take on Trump was that he's a total sociopath. It's not surprising to me. I mean, he's certainly a narcissist, and maybe they're the same thing in some ways. But I've, I mean, he's got I've a never, hot wife, though. He's, he's got a hot wife. He's always bringing things back to himself, and he just, he just lies at his convenience. He's just, it's unbelievable. Do you know that he's been sued something like 3,500 times? I believe that when you have a huge company that happens a lot, so that's 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 not as surprising to me. What, but like um, by waiters and stuff. Oh yeah, well like, you know his creditors. A lot of people that invested, you know, people that did work for him never got paid. A lot of the companies that he started uh, went bankrupt. You know, the, we talk about, about him being University? this. We, well, yeah, we talk about him being this great businessman. I don't know that we have a lot of evidence. He's done a good job creating a brand that's worth something. So if you put it on a hotel, it comes with, in your mind, uh, you think of high quality, prestigious, you know, nice bedding. and you know, Or if he has a, a building, it's the Trump Tower. Well, isn't it also interesting there. that he took the name Trump? Because like I believe Trump card, that expression Trump card, was there before the name Trump. Because his last name is Drump. Yeah, Drump. Yeah. That's his actual last name. I saw John Oliver talk about that. His real name. Well, I mean, there's nothing wrong with the name Drumpf. I mean, shit. Arnold Schwarzenegger became famous as Arnold Schwarzenegger. I mean, he's got the goofiest fucking name Drumpf. ever, and he smashed it with that name. In America, you can get away with it. Why couldn't you be Drumpf? There's nothing wrong with Drumpf. I it remember, doesn't, doesn't mean anything. I remember being amazed that the United States voted a man by the name of Barack Hussein Obama in. Yeah. When we, our public enemy no, number one was, uh, you know, uh, Osama bin Laden. Yeah. So they, phonetically, they sound very similar. Oh, yeah. Well, how about Hussein? We, we are mean, also em- enemies with Saddam Hussein. Exactly. It's crazy. Yeah. 
I mean, he had a goofy-ass fucking name for a guy to be elected president. But that's why I give Americans a lot of credit. I think Americans are, are you know, if you listen to Europeans talk, but they're always marveling at how, quote-unquote, dumb Americans are. I don't think Americans are dumb, and I think Americans, in a lot of ways, are very fair-minded, too. Well, you know? there's that, but there's also the fact that there's a two-party system, where if you are on the left, you have to support whoever's on the left. That's mm -hmm. why all these people are lining up to support Hillary Clinton, yeah. and ignoring left and right all the crazy evidence against her just being completely full of shit she's corrupt we oh my god we played this video the other day where they were showing the difference between what the FBI has said about her trial about their, them them looking into the email mm -hmm. uh, server the illegal use of the email server the fact that top secret documents were shared cut and pasted and shared with people that did not have the status to, to be able to check those and that multiple devices were used to access these and then compared them to what she has said about it She's just a liar. Yeah. She's a liar. He's you, a liar. She's a liar. You, what do you think? Why do you think she set that server up in her bathroom? What was the benefit of that, do you think? Who the fuck knows? Was who it the, just convenience? It and was she told be, to do it, that? It could be that. It could be that she just didn't want anybody to have any oversight over her email. And Makes she wanted sense. to have a server in her home. Look, she deleted a lot of fucking emails. Mm. Thousands of emails. And you're not supposed to do that. Yeah. Like, that's a part of that gig. Part yeah. of that gig is transparency. She skirted around that gig. I had uh, Mike Baker in here from the CIA, a former CIA operative, who mm -hmm. said flat out, if he had done the same thing, I would be in jail. No, he'd be in jail. And he, and he was discussing how this is just not done, and everyone knows this. This mm -hmm. is like, this is not a woman who just stepped into politics for the first time. This is someone who's been involved in politics virtually her whole life. I read a good article somebody sent me, and I'll send it to you. Um, and I can't remember what the magazine was. Credible, a credible magazine. The journalist, he said, look, I, I have my point of view on Hillary. And he's not a left-leaning. I think he's probably more of a conservative columnist. And he said, and he went and um, he interviewed all the people that have worked with Hillary Clinton, for, with, and, uh, and even her opponents. And it was really, really, really interesting to get the perspective. He said, the one thing that they talk about is, number one, she doesn't feel very comfortable in front of... It's not a natural fit for her to be in front of audiences talking. But, dude, she's such a great speaker. She's a great speaker. The shrill way <laughs> she talks! Very, very... It's so nice on the ears! See, I, I think her voice is very grounded and strong like Oof, this. It's boxy. But they it's all, like her body. They, they, they did use words like they, they consider her to be funny thoughtful and very intelligent mm. now uh that that was an interesting i my eyes were a little bit open i said well the people that are close to her that have worked with her had more favorable things to say and i'm not a hillary supporter but they had more f favorable than negative which i thought was pretty interesting because i never thought of actually interviewing people that have worked closely with her okay stop right there these are political people true so think about what their job is, right. what they do for a living, and how to make it in that world. You very have to true. be full of shit, and you have it's to like create. Hollywood. Yeah, it's very much like try Hollywood. getting somebody to say something bad about somebody else because you never Fuck know if yeah. they're going to be. It, it's amazing. It's the best Perfect script I've ever read. Example. It's the best Perfect. script I've ever read. Well, not only that, he's an amazing actor. She's amazing. Yeah. Oh my god, Ghostbusters! The new Ghostbusters is incredible. Yeah. Those girls are so strong. Yeah. They're such strong women. That's my new thing. It's amazing. My new thing is the empowerment of women. I love this new talk. It's just it's not new either. I'm well, just, she's totally empowered. She's she's totally embraced her nudity. Oh God! <laughs> she's bending over, yeah, and arching well, her back and licking her lips. She's so empowered. She's brave because she's naked and fat. <laughs> she's so brave. <laughs> 
All right. <laughs> if she was brave, she'd get up at 4 o'clock in the morning and hit the gym before she went to the set. She wouldn't be fat anymore. Dude, people I'll tell you are what's angry brave. at that Melissa McCarthy woman. They're angry that she's yeah. losing weight. Do you understand this? I love it. They're angry that she's choosing to become healthy. <sighs> so they're saying that this is in direct contrast to who she was before, mm. who we loved, is this fucking cartoonish fat lady. Yeah. And this cartoonish fat lady who we want to pretend is healthy. Yeah. You know, there's a fucking slew of people out there that have blogs out there talking about different things that are healthy about being fat. And I went down a rabbit hole one night because some woman was writing, she was this obese woman, and I was really sad when I was looking at her photos and, you know, people like to highlight things that people say about them on social media and, you know, like, you know, all these people are harassing her for being fat. It's but she's she putting out a blog, right? Yeah. When you're putting yourself out there and you're putting a blog, you're just going to, you put some honey out there, you're going to attract a certain amount of bugs. There's just yeah. no way around that, right? But she was talking about different aspects of being overweight that are healthy and this one weird phenomenon where healthy people that catch a disease sometimes don't do as well mm -hmm. as fat people that have the same disease in the old days they said you used to have some weight on you in case you get a disease and you can fight it better that was always the case what is that how, how could that be true? I guess because maybe, and I'm just, uh, this is bro science, but from what I remember reading, your fat can actually absorb or store uh, uh, more, I, I don't know, or you have, you have reserves when you're not eating and stuff. Uh, you, mm. you know, your body will use the fatty acids for energy. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. So your body gets into a state of burning fat rather than burning food. Yeah. And m many times when people are sick, that's a huge issue. It's, yeah, you, it's coming up with some form of energy. My Italian relatives, you know, the, the Sicilian side back in the day, I remember if somebody was too skinny, they look, they, they would say, you know, be careful. If you get sick, you know, you'll, oh, you'll die. Weird. Well, yeah. it totally makes sense. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean it's healthy to be fat. Right. It just means it's like an, a, it's a reserve policy in case you get a fucking catastrophic disease. Yeah. But you're also more <laughs> yeah. likely to get that catastrophic disease if you're fat. Yeah. So it's such a catch-22. This book uh, by Gary Taub, I, I just love, called Why We Get Fat and What to Do About It. And he, he traces the genealogy of the obesity epidemic. And he goes all the way back to the 30s in New York City. And he looks at how ineffective all these obesity clinics and even the science of obesity has been. It's been so difficult because a lot of times they treated it like it was a psychological disease, like you eat too much. So right. you'd go to a psychiatrist um, or they would put you on these very restrictive diets, 1,200 calories a day, and you would lose weight, but at the end of the day you'd descend. But, but it, well, also your body gets into this state of panic yes. where it tries to store energy yes. really quickly because it's worried that you're in a famine state. Right. So what he traces, and he looks at the Native Americans that were had to sort of get, get on government rations when their land was taken, and they all blew up like balloons because they were given white flour. And mm. the, the thesis of the book is essentially that when you eat simple carbohydrates and a lot of carbohydrates, especially things like white flour and sugar, your body produces a lot of insulin. And for a whole bunch of metal, metabolic reasons, it's insulin that causes you to retain fat molecules and need more sugar for energy. And he does a really great job in the book, a book of explaining it. Um, but that sort of, you know, um, 
when when you look at it that way and when you look at the fact that it's just a question of changing what you put into your body mm. uh you know you will uh then eventually like this keto diet for example mm-hmm. it's a really good way to lose weight and not have to restrict your calories it just is now i don't know if it's for everybody uh you i don't know, think there is a single diet that's for everybody i, I don't either i don't people's either people's bodies are different like obviously people have different allergies to foods like mm-hmm. or allergies to all sorts of things like the, it's that's a great indication that we are just we, there's so much biological diversity so yeah. many people have genetics that have come from all sorts of different parts of the world mm-hmm. all sorts of different environments that we evolved from yes yeah. there's, there's no one single but, but diet with, with obesity is fairly recent uh, only because when people started eating you know that much sugar and right bread. but you know well, the, I think that's universal it is. All right like like there's nothing wrong with eating a certain amount of carbs and breads sure. and pastas but th- it is universal that massive amounts of sugar are bad for you there's no I don't think there's any question anymore right. scientifically yeah yeah. But one of, one of the things that's hard for very fat people, obese people who have trouble with this, who may have gotten caught into that pattern as kids, uh, or they have a, or, and it's very true that some people genetically do put weight on. They don't process carbs the way other people do. Like I can eat carbs all day and stay very thin. Some people just can't do that. But for a long well, time, you're very active though. I'm very active. But yeah. for a long time, what I'm saying is that there's always been and still is a stigma, which is you're fat, which means you are uh, of weak character right. or you have a faulty character. You're bad, and that's why they take so much shit. Whereas Gary Taub in his book said a lot of it was just the fact that people did know how the body worked and a lot of this information came out in Germany before the war there were these Austrian and German scientists that were really closing in on what insulin does to make you gain weight but guess what when the war was over no American scientists were going to use German data. Right. It was kind of like, no, nah, we'll come up with our own data. Well, we used their rocket data. We did use their rocket we data. We fucking scooped up all their <laughs> Operation Paperclip. We scooped up all their fucking rocket scientists yeah. and made them Americans. Yeah. There's yeah. a fucking thing about Werner von Braun being a great American. And uh, like Werner von Braun was a fucking Nazi. The guy mm-hmm. who ran the NASA space program was a straight-up Nazi yeah. who the Simon Wiesenthal Center said if he was alive today, they would prosecute him for crimes against humanity. Damn, I didn't know that. Yeah. They hung the five slowest workers every day at his fucking rocket factory in Berlin. Sweet, guys. They hung Jews. They hung them in the front of the fucking rocket factory to encourage the workers to work faster. One of the things that they say... And this is, by the way, coming directly from people who are still alive who worked in that factory with tattoos on their arm. I believe it. I I don't think that's a... I don't even think that's a point of conjecture. But how crazy is it that we just scooped up all those monsters... Like, well, hey, we you also monsters scooped are really up. good at fucking shooting metal dicks into the sky. Let's uh, <laughs> let's come over here. We How also, you... but we also scooped up a lot of uh, German and Austrian Jewish scientists because mm-hmm. when they, in fact, Einstein, I believe, emigrated after a number of, or I think it was two scientists who were Jewish were assassinated, were shot on the street, mm. and so all these like brilliant Jewish uh, scientists said, uh, let's get the fuck out of here and go to the UK and go to the United States. Well, you know the horrible tragedy of Fritz Haber. You know, the Haber method. The Haber method of the the guy figured out a way to extract nitrogen from the air. And it's one of the, they say today that there's there's a fantastic radio lab podcast on this. I think it's called The Bad Show. I think that's what it's called because there's uh, they did they did a good show and a bad show. I think that's what it's called. And what they just showed is that sometimes, and this we've all known this. Sometimes 
people that have done horrible, horrible things are also amazing at something that benefits a lot of folks. Mm -hmm. And this is one of them. Classic example. Fritz Haber figured out this way to extract nitrogen from the air. And the nitrogen in our bodies today, they estimate that some 50... And nitrogen, what they use it for is fertilizer. And for the longest time... Ammonia, yeah, Yeah, for the longest time, they used to have to get like dead fish or mulch or something like that, compost. And And in fact, that bat guano. Yeah, bat guano was a big Mm -hmm. one, literally bat shit crazy Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. was like because people would have wars over bat shit. Isn't that nuts? I didn't know that, but but that's exactly right. Yeah, that's what it is. There was fucking wars over bat shit. Because that's how you grew your food. It's amazing. And people would starve during the winter because they didn't Mm -hmm. know how to get that nitrogen into the soil. And Fritz Haber is literally credited with stopping mass scale starvation. But then there's... The other side. side. Well, they said that today the nitrogen in our bodies, 50% of it came from the Haber method. There you go. All the people today. Yeah. Like literally he's responsible for a massive increase in the population of this world. Mm Mm-hmm. But he also was the guy that fucking used gas in war for the first time. Not only that, he personally oversaw it. He went to the front lines. And well, was... it started with, it started with, a. Uh, he was working on insecticides, right? Yeah. Uh, which is, by the way, is what? Zyklon B, which was used to gas the Jews. Well, he came up with Zyklon A, exactly. and Zyklon A had a smell a attached smell. to it so right. that you could know what it was and get the fuck away from it. Right. Whereas Zyklon B, the Nazis extracted the smell. Exactly. Meanwhile, Haber was a Jew. So exactly. what a fucking crazy conundrum that guy found himself where his own relatives died directly from an invention that he created. It's incredible. And, you know, also, if you if you take a sympathetic approach to a man who was a patriot, he was a patriot. His country right. was at war. He had benefited from this country. He had a legacy in this country. He had standing in this country. And his country was under direct threat. And he said, I think I know a way yeah. to help this war effort so we can stop the enemy. And you know, we should all, again, it's not what you think, it's how you think. We should all put ourselves in his shoes. If I had a way, and I'm, I, I think I'm right about that, if I had a way as an American, as Brian Kellen, to save my country from people I thought were going to actually take it over or kill a bunch of people, including my family, I'm going to gas the fuck out of them if I can invent a technique. I'm going to gas them and I'm going to come up with a way to shoot a rocket at them. That, that's... So if that makes me a bad person, call me Fritz. Well, isn't it crazy, though, that this guy was literally receiving the Nobel Prize for the Haber method yeah. at the same time for being wanted for crimes against humanity. As a war for criminal. Ga- for yeah. a war criminal. Yeah. But the same people that wanted to try him for war crimes dropped nuclear fucking bombs on two cities in Japan. Uh-huh. Like, what is a war crime? Like, when you're killing people. Like, oh, you killed people the wrong way. Like, we have rules. You can't kill people like that. Curtis LeMay, who oversaw, I believe, the bombing, the firebombing of Tokyo. Uh, and uh, this several... is before the the Hiroshima and Nagasaki bombs. Yes. This is the fire bombs, which, by the way, killed more people, did more destruction. I mean, everybody yeah. concentrates on the, the two events, yeah. Hiroshima and Nagasaki. No, no, no. Fire bombing was, I, oh. mean, I mean, what we did to Dresden, what we did to the Allies, really. It was the British and the Americans. But, um, I mean, Dresden looked like the surface of the moon. Uh, you know, uh, Kurt Vonnegut, I think in the book uh, Slaughterhouse-Five, talks about this in vivid detail. 
detail, but look at just YouTube, Dresden before and after. Jimmy, bring up Dresden. Jimmy. before Jimmy? Jamie, I said. Bring said up Jimmy. Be, be, said Jimmy, bring right? Up Dresden before and after the firebombing. But Curtis LeMay, I think in a period of eight days in Tokyo, eight, I mean, one million people died from fire. Oh, and Curtis LeMay God. said business, war is the business of killing people. And if I had been on the losing side, I'd probably be tried as a war criminal. And if you see Curtis LeMay, he's always chewing a cigar and he was the commander and he was the one who made those decisions. And he said, we're going to punish the German workers. There are real pictures though. Look at that. What is this? This is what it looked like before? Dresden was a jewel. It was a jewel. It was a beautiful city. What does it look like post? Uh, Like the surface of the fucking moon. You'll see. Do they have videos of it then, Jamie? This is all. This is, a, this is before and after the Allied bombing. I don't know why. It's just pictures. Yeah, see yeah. if you can find some photos, some actual photos. Beautiful Dresden ruins after the Allied bombing. Whoa! But this is it drawings. was way worse than that. No, that's yeah. a real photograph. Oh, that's a photo. Yeah, there you go. That's what that's it looked a photo. like. Oh my god! That's what it looked like. Oh my god! All of it. All of it. And they and he ta- they talk about the survivors who were just walking around in the city that had been standing for seven hundred years or something crazy. God, and it damn. was no longer. How did anybody survive this? They didn't. In fact, people were falling Whoa, down. Whoa! Look at that. Those are bodies. Yes, people were falling down. Um, they were falling down because the oxygen was sucked out of the air. So From you'd the fire. be you'd be on the street and you would you would just fall down because there's no air. Yes, or there'd be a bomb and the people would open their shutters, stick their head out, and the aftershock would take their heads off. Whoa! Yeah. It's we're we're very lucky, very lucky we didn't live at this time. Jesus we're very lucky Christ! We what live. a fucking strange thing. It it was an apocalypse. Giant scale war is like that. And and Europe, what was it? Uh, was it? Uh, 50 million people at the end of World War II that were dead, maybe as many as 80 million. Put that into context. And that, from those ashes, from these experiments like fascism, and the idea that you can perfect human beings and perfect society and create utopias, from those experiments came... uh, Ash and eighty million graves, and well, so and from sorta, that came right, kind of sorta. I mean, the idea, like, if you just wanted to improve upon human beings without killing people that you thought were inferior, if you just wanted to create the Ubermensch without making everybody else die, yeah, you know, but, without you, you, know, you, you know need to, I mean? but you need to reeducate. So reeducation camps that Pol Pot would put people in, right. you had to be marched to the countryside because he was creating a, an agrarian utopia. But, but, but why does it always have to, why, why does any beneficial act, like an, the idea of creating better people, like we would all like a better society with better people. I mean, if we all had a, a world where everybody had perfect genetics and nobody had to worry about fat shaming, you know, like mm. nobody had to worry about not being attractive, nobody had, but that's not good. So the problem is like the stress and the, the anxiety of being a dork and the, 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 the stress of being bullied and that's where, where diamonds come from. Like, yes. It's not good you to bully correct. someone. It's not good to, 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 to take advantage of someone. It's not good to, to make someone's life hell. Mm. But a lot of times that's where you get a Marvin Gaye. Of course. You know, you get these these jewels of art. Yeah. You know, you get these people that come out of these horrible environments and they have this power to them. But you have to create, you ha- you're right, you still have to create some respite. You know, yeah. that the, the great the greatest the great Matthew Arnold who said that the United States is the the land of the stock market and big guns and and powerful, you know, an agrarian side that can it's feed also the, the world. Land of prints. What he also said, I was going to say, he said we have to always remember to create safe 
haven for our gentler spirits, our weirdos and people that think differently and act differently, because that's where you get Prince, Little Richard, Marilyn Manson, and all the things that make our culture interesting. Yeah. And that's a very important thing to keep in mind when you... when you. Um, but again, look, when you talk about... Um, bombing and how we're getting better think about for a second the methodology in our brain of how we a lot of people think of not only terrorism and i'm guilty of this too or even say something like cancer so if you have cancer there's one method of treating it and sometimes it works which is there's a tumor let's cut it out Let's cut the tumor out. There's another method of treating it, which is diet and health and taking care of your body before it ever happens. This is one of the things... So you're that- talking now about the duality is what I'm saying, is that we, we fall sometimes into the mindset that every problem can be cut out and, mm-hmm. and removed, right? Instead of saying... Prevention. What, what you just said, what you just said is there's another, there might be another tact. In, in every issue. So when, you, when we talk about um, the bad guys, and we talk about we have to ki- – and, and listen, there's, there's, a, there's a place and a time to take out the bad guys. There's no question. Of course. You know, but we have to be careful that we, have, we don't fall into one way of thinking and one way of dealing with what we consider threats, right? Right. Because we could make the problem worse. Um, and instead, sometimes we might want to say, maybe this time, maybe this is a problem that doesn't require cutting and radiation and, uh, you know, removing. Maybe it's what you just said. Maybe we should approach it systemically from a different angle that's not as, uh, not as violent, not as physical. Yeah. Well, there's also the problem of the charismatic leader. And there's also a problem of people wanting to be a part of a team. Like you were talking about, if you could gas the people that are a threat to the United States. <laughs> but who are those people? They're just people. The idea that somehow or another someone who lives in Italy, who uh, I've never met, is against me. Uh, someone who lives in the United States, who, who they've never met. Mm-hmm. That's preposterous. We yeah. just don't know each other. Yeah. And when you get, by the way, when I was in Italy, one of the weirdest fucking things about it, and I've never been there before, so I don't know if... The, but the people that were there were t- describing to me how everything has changed. I was talking to this one cab driver. He was a really interesting guy. And uh, he was, uh, we were commenting. I was asking him about everywhere you look, they have these Land Rover defenders that are in camo with these military people standing out there with fucking machine guns everywhere, mm. everywhere. And I said, is this normal? And he said, no. He said, this is the new way. He's mm-hmm. like, this is uh, the world is changing. He mm-hmm. said, this is not a good world. Mm-hmm. He said, this is not good. And I said, so this is a direct response to the terrorist threats and the things that have been happening in Paris. He goes, yes, yes, yes. He goes, they don't want it to happen here. So, so all the places where there was tourists, where it was the Vatican, whether it was the Coliseum, you saw these these camouflage Land Rover defenders and these public displays Guys of, of ready. guns. Yeah, and a woman. I saw a woman. I was thinking about punching her, taking her gun. It's like I think I can. <laughs> Some of those women are no oh, joke. No, I don't think so. I got it. <laughs> They're trained to react That's my quickly. Gun. That's my gun. It's She's my just gun. holding it. It's my gun. Obviously, I'm kidding. But it is, it is weird to see these people that are standing out there holding guns, and they had fucking very serious looks on their face. And they're scanning the crowd, looking left and looking right, and a lot of Middle Eastern people there. A lot of fucking people dressed up like beekeepers. A lot of poor ladies with gloves on and ninja masks. And I was like, what in the fuck? 2016, and you got people wandering the streets of one of the greatest cities in the world. And a dr- liberal democracy. Fucking that, mad. That, that talks about giving people their own I, their, their serenity on what they wear. Yeah, and all the women, like Italian women, dressed like, oh, 
holes. Yeah, they're holes. beautiful. Looking for dick. Holes. Well, they're just very. I consider they dress. Holes. They're minimalists. Excuse me, sir. They're minimalists, and they did. They know how to. I'm a fan. I'm a fan of oh, hoes. Yeah. Did you uh, see what happened in France over the weekend? This, uh, this man stabbed a woman and her three children at a at a resort for being scantily dressed. This Muslim man. Mm. Yeah. What in the fuck, man? Just. Well, it's such a bankrupt. It's such a bankrupt philosophy, if you can even call it that. This idea. Ideology. It's an ideology. It's an ideology. I'm going to kill you. You talk about people who are caught in a trap, this ISIS ideology. Talk Mm -hmm. about being caught in a pathway. This guy guy wasn't ISIS. He wasn't an ISIS guy. He was just some radical Muslim. Someone who deeply believes what he's been taught, his ideology, so powerful that he's willing to stab an eight-year-old kid in the lungs. This poor fucking kid had a collapse. A little girl. A little girl because she was wearing a beach outfit. Jesus Christ. Well, this is a guy. um, It sounds like he might have been mentally ill or... But the guy who fucking drove all those people in Nice. That happened while I was there. Is that how you say it? Nice. Yes, Nice. That happened while I was there. Well, this is the other thing is, again, not only do they do that because they're fanatical, they think they're actually going to change something and make the world a better place by by behaving in this mad fashion, in by some killing way children. They might because they're going to unleash the Jocko Willinks on the world who are going to go out there and they're going to fucking kill people like this. Yeah, they're They're, right. they're, they're, they're going to fucking get people to the point where they lose all tolerance well i'm getting to that point and i'm pretty tolerant and i'm getting that point and here's the here's the interesting about when you think about isis so i was talking to my buddy who's a cia guy you know he's a he's a delta guy he's one of these real kind of uh guys who's in there and does all the the dirty work and he said um I said, you know, let's. Why don't we just bomb uh, the, the, their strongholds? Well, you make and, them martyrs. Well, no. He also said, he said, um, you have to understand that that's not like they're all camped out in one area. They're in a town the size of, you know, let's say Baltimore, and they're they have safe houses, but for the most part, they're all over that place. But more importantly, as ISIS fighters die, what they do is they come to families that are peace-loving families, and they say, listen, we need to we need to uh, conscript your son. And uh, your two other sons right there. They're, they now belong to ISIS. Now, you can say no and die, or you can bring, bring them over for the cause, because you better be down is for the cause. Is that what's going on? That's what's going on now. And where is this happening? What in, part of the world? In Syria, in Iraq, in, in those places where they have strongholds. But so, a lot of people are joining voluntarily. Yes, yes they including are. Including European women. Have you yeah. seen this crazy shit where yeah. girls are going from England and they're joining ISIS? Yeah. They're, also getting, they're also getting wholesale just destroyed oh, yeah. oh, I mean, yeah. they're just fucking dying mm-hmm. and and now isis is trying to support the families of the martyrs and they're running out of money and you know so they're losing the they're losing the physical battle but the ideology is always going to inspire fuck faces like this guy who kills children and i think in that case you know you do need a strong presence and people willing to shoot those people before they do what they do it's really hard to prevent them well it's hard to prevent crazy people yeah and the word crazy is not the right word it's hard to prevent evil Fanatics. psychopaths it's hard to prevent people like i mean forget religious ideology the guy who fucking shot up those people in the movie theater in colorado it's hard to prevent that yeah it's it's hard to I mean that that happened more than once right I mean how many times people didn't someone get shot up in Amy Schumer's movie weren't were there people that went to see Trainwreck that was right right yeah and because she was uh, what would you upset do? about what that do you, what do you think is the answer oh I mean, that's a good question is the answer is the answer this is a little bit radical but is the answer let all of us carry a gun 
how are you going to stop that truck with a gun? I don't know. You know. The trucks are more dangerous than guns. You know, it's fucked up. I, I kind of predicted that that truck attack during the Steven Crowder podcast, and I didn't even realize I did it. Somebody posted on the, inter- in the internet a, a clip of it, like, what's to stop someone? Because we were talking about gun control. And I'm like, the problem is mentally insane people that are willing to kill people. Yeah. And they could do it a lot of ways, man. And I was like, what's to stop someone from taking a car and driving through a fucking crowd of people? There's not much you could do about it. Mm-mm. But you can shoot them. In the yeah. face, so yeah. that they die in the car. Maybe I mean, I, I do if you think... get lucky and hit them, you know how hard it is to shoot at someone when they're driving at you in a car. It's hard to shoot a deer that's standing still. No shit. And, and you resting your gun on a rock. But you... it's possible. It's and, possible. And I'd rather have that answer mm-hmm. than have to run and scream yeah, with my no. kids. I'd rather be able to stand my ground and, and fucking squeeze off, you know, right six rounds uh, no, in, in his direction and i really mean that it, no it's it's there's an argument there and i think the argument against that that you know you should not have that because you're more likely to kill someone in your family and uh, you know that's not a great argument either i think on both sides like the real issue is mental health the real issue is mm-hmm. inequality the real issue is people growing up and when i say inequality i don't necessarily even mean rights i mean in the environment in which your soul enters this world like what 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 is the environment that you and i entered well we have really nice parents and we got really lucky we got born in america and well, you didn't were you even born in america i was born in the philippines sir. i was born in the philippines sir. jesus christ i lived overseas so i was 14 years You're old barely, Keep going. barely one a lot of, of different countries um it's where i get my edge but you, you you got lucky you have a really nice family you know i got lucky great family like nice people mm-hmm. you know that's very fortunate if you were born in Iraq or in Saudi Arabia or in Afghanistan or in any of these places where they're dealing with these ancient ideologies, you're fucked. It's like it's like there's a race and the race is 30 miles long and you're starting out at mile one where some people are at mile 29. Like there's no way. It's no way this is fair. Mm-hmm. There's no way. It's just mm-hmm. not fair. And there's got to be a way through either time or effort or just the sheer expression of ideas that permeate through this world where slowly but surely that's the key yeah slowly but surely things have to even out to the point where people realize the correct way to behave and treat people look you could say religious tolerance all you want but when there's a fucking woman dressed like a ninja at the mall that lady is not in a good place she, she's being forced to dress like that. This is not her idea. There's no way it is. Mm. This is an idea that was stuck into her life when she was a small person. Mm-hmm. And she grew up with that idea. And now she's married to some guy who enforces that idea. And this guy's walking around with a fucking golf shirt on. And his wife's dressed like a ninja. Yeah. I mean, this is madness. And I think that it makes their country weaker. If you, if you, yeah, if you categorize and, 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 you know, creates these sort of fencing around an entire class of people and a gender if you yeah. take women and say you guys have to walk a little bit behind me you have we just know that that doesn't work you're wasting a lot of human potential yes a lot of people with ideas that can make the world a better place yeah. you're also you're you're stifling the debate and the discussion look there's a lot of people that think different than me man a lot of people whether they're uh, from different parts of the world or whether they have different likes or dislikes and they have different uh, th- art that they appreciate. And I, 
I like hearing their point of view. There's a lot of people that I don't agree with what they're saying, and I like to hear what they say. There's radical feminists that I listen to their ideology, and I listen to what they're saying, and I try to figure out where the fuck they're coming from. I try to figure out, okay, is this a direct response to something they've experienced in their life? Like, how much of this has to deal with them being persecuted? How much of them has to, how much of what people say has to do with their direct experiences with the opposite sex. Mm -hmm. Like when you look at a, a bunch of feminists, right, and some of them have pink hair and they weigh 300 pounds and you, you know life was not fucking awesome for them around men. You just know it wasn't. You, well, how much of this anti-male sort of ideology that they're espousing, like how much of that comes from their direct experiences with men and how different would it be if they grew up looking like Julia Roberts? Right. I mean, a lot. There, there's, right? a, there's a really good um, one of the things I do with my podcast, the Brian Callen Show. Now is I do. Wait a once, minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Yeah. You have a podcast? I have. A, I have. I have the fighter and the kid. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Yeah. You brought back the Brian Callen Show? I have. I do it once a week, and I How talk come about I don't a book. Know about this. I I sent you I, I sent you this? one of them just for you to listen to because I did it with this guy Hunter yeah, Moss. I don't listen to anything. Who's brilliant? You do. I'll just tell you right now. I, know, you just, I, I sent it to you. You're like whatever. But I'm it was a, super busy. We had an. I'm very very busy. <laughs> but I had an amazing conversation with, with my buddy Hunter. That amazing, was, like you can't believe it happened. It was or it was well, good. My buddy Hunter is really good at reading everything and putting it into context where I can understand it. You know what I mean? Like he he can put it, he can create a useful, he can turn it into a useful, right. you know what I mean? Right. Like you can read a bunch of books, but you don't know how to put it together. This motherfucker can put it all together mm. and contextualize it and everything else. And we we read this book, we'll read a book and then talk about it. So we read this book called The Secret of uh, Their Success, uh, The Secret of Our Success by Joseph Henrik. And the book is, the, the theme of the book is basically this, and it's to your point. Human beings are smart because they borrow culture. Mm. Human beings are smart because they have societies that excel have to be open and have to be open enough so that they can borrow the best things from other cultures. So, for example, yeah. if you and I are put in the middle of the Arctic, we're going to unless we find a bunch of Inuit, we're dead in about three days. You know, if you and I are in the Amazon, if you take an Inuit who can kick ass and find seal meat and everything else and put him in the Amazon, He's he doesn't know, he doesn't have the right. culture. Yeah. Human beings survive and grow and excel because we are really good at learning from each other, borrowing ideas. It's called the diffusion of innovation. We, we are, that, that's the most important thing. And when you have societies that have these strong rules and these strong ideologies that keep people essentially restricted, you are not going to have the free flow exchange of ideas. Look at, for example, mixed martial arts. Think about where martial arts has come once the ultimate fighting championship and the Gracies created this crazy thing where everybody got to fight everybody else. Pretty soon everybody starts sharing secrets. Everybody starts to kind of like go, well, this works, this doesn't work. And you were putting it in an arena where you were actually, it was just a very open place. It was a proven could, ground. It was a proven ground. And yeah. you could borrow ideas. Mm -hmm. And people are, look at what they're doing now. They're borrowing. Sure. Coaches here, Wrestlers I have this learn idea. Submissions yeah. and kickboxing and all that that's stuff. That's yeah. how societies, that's how innovation happens. That's the best mm -hmm. way to get ideas to move forward. And again, the problem with what this sort of countries that are restrictive, like Russia, like Saudi Arabia, with these strong sort of either cultures of power or cultures of religion, is that they create um, a very, very, it's a very difficult atmosphere, not only. Not only to be open with your ideas, but but to 
benefit from your ideas. You are not going to start a company like Apple in Russia when you know that the government, like Putin or whoever, is, could, could take it anytime they want. Where would be the incentive of that? I'm going to work for well, 20 years. Well, you'd have to be buddies with Putin. Exactly. And then you might be able to pull it off. But so you will never an, do it in Saudi Arabia. Now it's an economy of influence. Right. Not a meritocracy. Right. Let me ask you this, because this is a kind of an interesting thought that's going through my head. Do you think that one of the, the things that's going on today that just really wasn't going on... I mean, in the 70s, you had the Iran hostage crisis with Jimmy Carter and all that jazz. But if you really go back and think about what that was all about, and if you really look at the, the history of the United States intervention in the Middle East, it was really about controlling resources, controlling well, natural also, resources. Also controlling Soviet influence. Yeah, controlling Soviet influence. But that was also about resources, too, because they were trying to, the Mujahideen, they were trying to control Afghanistan, and they wanted to get the natural gas pipelines. And there's there's a lot of it to, in, that deals with monopolizing natural resources resources and the amount of money that you can get from there. And then also the amount of natural resources that could be used to strengthen military, you know, uh, regimes. There, there's, there's a lot of control issues in that. But you didn't have the kind of terrorist activity that you're having today, which also coincides with the freedom and expression of ideas and information at an unprecedented rate that we're all experiencing today. And the areas where this is not true the areas where the freedom of expression and the tolerance of ideas. I mean, if you look at the United States, there's some, some nonsense that's going on today with political correctness. And there's some complete, the, the, the left that's taken so far left that it almost becomes right because they're just completely uh, so... Controlling. So, con, but, con, not just controlling, but so, uh, so infatuated with the idea of enforcing their version of what... Equality is. Equality is and what life is on everybody else that it becomes this like... Oh, this tyrannical. Is, you're very tyrannical. Mm -hmm. But the point is, this is, the, this is the, the West. I mean, this is where we are. We are in the, the real marketplace of ideas. This is the boiling point of all these ideas where things are changing at this radical rate. And this is the world that is also being attacked and really being opposed by this completely constricted world that really doesn't feel like it has a chance. Like, this world is trying desperately to cling to these old ways. De I mean, if you look at look what ISIS is, mm -hmm. they are desperately trying to cling to these ancient religious ideologies mm -hmm. that were established in, in a way that does not allow for the even exchange of ideas and mm -hmm. information. Mm -hmm. And this, this new way of... But this is also this new way is also attached, of course, to the military industrial complex. It's also attached to the, to the idea that there's hundreds of different, different military bases in hundreds of different countries where we're in control of massive amounts always of people's has been, safety. Always has been, though. But it hasn't been yeah. in You know, terrorism, the rest by the, the way, in the 70s, and, and remember being in Rome Airport, they had plenty of guys with machine guns because of the Red Brigade. There was right. communist terrorism. There was Palestinian terrorism back then when uh, they a great deal. killed the people at the Olympics. Yeah. Munich. Yeah, so yeah. There, there was always terrorism, there's, but yeah. a much smaller scale than today. Much smaller. I don't know about that. I don't know if oh, that's. Come on, I don't know if man. that's true because terrorism was uh, terrorism. There was never anything like ISIS before. No, there wasn't. There this wasn't. is a new thing, and yeah. I, I. But this really. 
powerful. But, but I have to stop you for adherence. A what? Because because when you say there wasn't anything like uh, ISIS, you're right. But for example, in Indonesia, which was uh, essentially an American ally, uh, in, Indonesia had. I just lost my. Uh, it, it, take a look at how many people in one year died during the communist purge, and I think it was 1965. By many many accounts, the uh, there were probably one million people, most of whom were sort of take the commando oxy. They were the sort of civilian conscripts that the military kind of recruited and said, "Find us the communists in your villages." And they were marched down to the river. They had their heads chopped off. And by many accounts, almost a million quote-unquote communists in a period of about a year in Indonesia were slaughtered. Let's take uh, the Well, these are all related. But my my point point is, what I'm trying to get at is, I wonder if what is going on now is almost the same thing that's going on with like a two-party system. It's an us versus them thing, but it's combined with the us which is this? what's going on in the Western world. I mean, obviously the Western world has plenty of problems. Mm. But one thing the Western world has pretty clearly is the even exchange of information and ideas. Mm-hmm. You might not agree with these ideas, and you might, and then that's a, there's a problem with that as well. But, but you have access to them. You have access to them. Yeah. And this access is like, well, that's one of the things that's going on with Twitter. And I don't know if you know about this, but Milo Yiannopoulos, you know yeah, who he is? Yeah, he, yeah. Got, he, got he got banned from Twitter for writing a bad review about Ghostbusters, which essentially confirms what he said about the regressive left, is that they're trying to stifle ideas. Like, And then they're saying that he's responsible for the harassment of Leslie Jones, right? right? Which is horrible. You know, what people did. She's a fucking comedian, She's man. also great. She's great. Her. She's funny as yeah. shit, man. Um, but also... This is just trolls. All right, you're always going to have trolls, but he didn't do that. He didn't. I mean, he's not responsible for. He didn't like. He sick didn't. Them. He wasn't the catalyst no. or the. Yeah. But what he did was make an incredible amount of sense when he was describing that you cannot make fun of this movie. You cannot criticize this movie if you do you're labeled a misogynist and he talked about how preposterous this movie is that these women are all out kicking ass and every man in the movie is a buffoon and the women don't have any negative traits or qualities at all. They're, they're, they're super powerful and super awesome and hilarious. And the, the humor is non-existent because they put them in this restrictive box. He got you, banned from Twitter for that? Banned for Twitter for this. You, you, well, they, they're blaming him on the harassment that he Leslie the, experienced. He incited the... Well, they didn't incite, any, incite anything. He, he made a provocative article about a piece of art. And that's what that movie is, a piece of art. So they are, they are guilty of, of censorship in the, in the worst way. Well, what they're doing is they're stifling ideas they don't agree with. Mm-hmm. And they've, they've decided that I mean, Twitter established some weird fucking thing called the Trust and Security Council or something like that. And they brought wow. on all these social just, justice wars. Jamie, look that up. What the fuck Good is that God. called that they tried to do? But they brought on all these people for this. Sounds like Mao's ca- China. But it's, Jesus Christ. It's very, very it's bizarre. Thought control. It is thought thought control. control. Well, look, I'm against harassment. If you can stop people from being shitty to people and you say, well, here's someone who's using Twitter and they're going after people in a very shitty way. But the problem with that is look at how many fucking people have made shitty, horrible, evil comments about police officers, all police officers, trust and safety council. When it comes to safety, everyone plays a role. Please make that larger so I can read it. Twitter empowers, Twitter empowers every voice 
to shape the world. But you can't do that unless you feel safe and confident enough to express yourself freely and connect with the world around you. To help give your voice more power, Twitter does not tolerate behavior intended to harass, intimidate, or use fear to silence another user's voice. Very general, by the way. Listen Very how general, general that is. So now you have a council that is deciding whether or not you're good enough for Twitter. That's pretty Well, you know amazing. what the first thing they did with him, they couldn't figure out what to do with him. They, they took away his verification. Wow. What, what, what does that have to do with... Wow. What is that? He's not verified anymore. They took away his little blue check. Yeah. It's very verified. dangerous. It's a very dangerous uh, slippery slope, but well, we see this in our universities, that, too. But when they... You, you do. Exactly yeah. the same thing. When they did that, he gained 20,000 new followers immediately. Wow. Because there was a, ma a massive backlash. Yeah. So now they're in a place where there's even more backlash, because if you look at the actual words that he typed versus what they're accusing him of, and it just doesn't stack up. It's clear that they don't like him because he's a Republican. He's a Trump supporter. Sure. He and he is a fucking troll. I love him. I think he's hilarious. He's a troll. But in the marketplace of ideas, you should be able to combat his trolling behavior. The without that a gag, said. without gagging yes. him, well, without you, you gagging him, engage him, him engage him. In a debate, yes. in a vigorous, spirited exactly. debate, yeah, Mark, don't gag yeah. the guy. Right. If you really feel like he has done something egregious, he's done something that can be criticized, criticize it. That's right. And if he's actually harassing people, if he's actually saying, hey, go find Leslie Jones and, and throw dog shit at her or do something horrible to her or slash her tires or something like that. If he's actually doing something like that. Yeah. Yeah, and then you know, then he's doing. Then that's, he's committing that's where a crime. that's where the, the you don't get up in a crowded movie theater and scream fire because right. you'll create a stampede. Yes, right? Exactly. You know, Maya Angela talked about that when she said where the Ku Klux Klan was saying we have a freedom of speech, and Maya Angela said, "Your freedom ends. Your freedom of speech can end when you're literally telling people to hang me. Yes, because uh, you know, and you're telling a mob, and I'm standing right there that that the, inciting them. That's that's probably where you know we should take a look at things. I mean, and we all know, we all know the line uh, what we, we don't all know all about know, what, no I'm saying I'm saying that that there is something called common decency and you know people like to jump to these extremes but it's not it doesn't inform the debate I think what you're saying is so important and then the idea that you've got to create safe haven for those that you agree with and disagree right. with and I disagree with Milo all the time yeah I mean he and I are friends and I've had him on the podcast twice and when we talk I, I mock him when I mean, we have fun I mean mm -hmm. it's, but he's a good guy but he's just Really right wing. I also think his trolling is so fucking sophisticated. And he's one of the ones that was saying that he believes that Melania, how do you say her name? Trump's Melania wife? Trump, yeah. Melania, is that mm -hmm. her name? Yeah. He thinks that they did it on purpose. He thinks Trump is a master troll and he thinks that the plagiarism was on purpose mm -hmm. because now more people are talking about it. Mm -hmm. And then more people are. Uh, I don't know if that's true, but I think it's hilarious that. Did you know that his tweet? Trump's tweet that he put out to congratulate his wife for speaking is exactly verbatim the same tweet that Obama put out to congratulate his wife really? for speaking. Interesting. Exactly. Wow. Every single word in the exact same order. Wow. Yes. Oh, that's that's pretty calculated. I don't know. I don't think yeah. he writes his own tweets. That Apparently wasn't true. Is it fake? I think that was like photoshopped. Oh, those motherfuckers. Oh, okay. They got me. Oh, that was the other thing they did. I'm sorry about that, folks. Um, that's another thing that they did with Leslie Jones, which she was really upset, is that trolls were taking 
words um, and putting them like they, they were taking a Photoshop and making her like her name, like what she had, you know, her, her Twitter name and then writing horrible shit about gay people Jesus and then Christ. putting it in there. Jesus. But Leslie Jones. And again, I love her. I think she's really funny. She said some kind of fucked up things on, on Twitter herself. And, you know, things that can be construed as racist. One of the things she said, like, about white people being shit. Fuck white people shit. Like, something like that. It was on, on Breitbart. See if you could you'd find the actual uh, things that they were, they were saying that, like, how could Leslie Jones get away with saying this, but Milo gets banned for writing an article. And I'm not... But I think what Leslie said, like, white people shit, it could have been that she was saying like someone did something and goddamn white people this is some white people shit yeah you know like she's funny like, like when people climb into a zoo and try to fucking hug a tiger yeah that's white people yeah that's white people yeah, shit that's funny though and leslie anybody who knows leslie yeah, knows she's lord have she's mercy she's a great she's just a fucking doll lord have mercy white people shit what does that mean though it's white people shit. Like they do but crazy I don't know. stuff. I mean, what does that mean? Like, why did she say that? Like, what is that about? Imagine a white yeah, person. But but look at this. Imagine a white person saying that about black people. I understand, but I think you know we've heard this before. We, it's fine. Leslie Jones is not a racist. Leslie Jones has never been anything but really kind to people around her. Okay, but hold on know? a second, because sometimes people say things that are racist, and they're not racist. They're just trying to be funny. Yes. Like, you know, I mean, how We're many, all too sensitive sometimes right. about Jeff it. Ross is hilarious, and he says a lot of racial stuff when he Sarah roasts Silverman. people. Yeah. Sarah Silverman. But Jeff Ross in particular, because he's really good at roasting people. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the stuff that he says, like, you know, he crosses what some people would say is a line. But what is he doing? He's being funny. There is, there is a difference. So a lot of times, if you're Hispanic, um, if you're... You know, if you're from a marginalized group, you, you can get away with it. You can get away with it because you sh you all share in a common um, experience of repression. Right. Uh, so and, like and, gay and, people can mock straight people. Go, go ahead, mock me for liking pussy. Who cares? That's what I mean. Because right? we don't. We've never had to pay a price for that kind of yeah. oppression. We yeah. haven't. Not physically, and not not economically. Well, that's not, not true because you know, we've been oppressed for being straight forever. It's it's a constant Damn thing. It. People are just so mad that we're You're not You're such gay. a breeder. Fucking breeder. Yeah. What are you out there making babies? <laughs> exactly. Those fucking Otto and George had a great line. You know, you, it, Otto and George, if you don't know, Otto was this fucking great, hilarious comedian who had a puppet named George, and his puppet was evil and these bushy eyebrows, and the puppet would say these fucked up things, yeah. and Otto would go, ah, oh, I can't believe you're saying that. Like, what the hell? That's great. And the, the, the pup would say, he goes, I don't understand where all these fucking queers are coming from. For a group of people that can't breed, where the fuck are they all coming from? It's just like you had this, like, he'd say, like, purposely ignorant shit yeah. as his puppet. Yeah. Well, but, you know, a lot of times all of us think outrageous thoughts. Yeah. We think prejudiced thoughts. It's part of being a human being, man. You well, know, it's, it's, there's a, a friend of mine who is dealing with, um, these uh, folks that are Jewish that are incredibly cheap and uh, this friend of mine was saying like how fucking embarrassing is it 
when someone just reenacts the most disgusting stereotype about a race. Yeah. Like a Chinese guy that just closes his eyes and just drives straight into traffic. <laughs> Plus, I mean, it's like this fucking horrible stereotypes yeah. that like when you see them, like, oh, come on, man. If I was Chinese and I saw someone driving like that, I'd be like, you motherfucker. Yeah. Do you know what I'm dealing with here? Yeah. Just being Chinese. Like if there's an accident and I'm involved, people go, oh, of course, the right. fucking Asian guy got well, a car accident. Well, do you know? Do you know what Dunbar's principle is? Yes. Yeah. And that's, we have a, a limited number of people we can keep within our heads, right? Right. But it, that also plays a part in stereotyping. There's a limited amount of information that we can kind of like keep in our heads. Right. So actually stereotyping was something that kept us safe. You, you're talking about, when you talk about stereotyping, what you're really talking about is pattern recognition and chunking information. Right. You're looking at something because you don't have a lot of time. You're looking at a dude. It's like Dove Davidoff's joke about, you know, he said he was sitting there and, he, and this guy walked up to him. He's already done this joke, so I'm not selling, I'm not, I'm not ruining it. But he said, you know, Look, we assume things all the time. You know, he goes, I saw this guy with teardrop tattoos. He had a knife. And I was like, I don't want to stay. I don't want to hang around here. And the girl goes, don't assume he could be a chef. I'm like, that's fine. He could be a chef. But if you pull your pants down and, and you got a bunch of blisters in your genitals, I'm not going to assume you got stung by a pack of bees. You know, at the end of the day, you do stereotype. You make choices based on how you, you know, what the information you get. And you do it very quickly because sometimes that information can keep you safe. A cop, a lot of times when they see... They, they can tell if somebody shouldn't be somewhere because they'll look for certain things. Out-of-state plates, fast food wrappers. That person's driving and they're on their way somewhere. There are lots of different little signals that cause you to profile. Right. Because sometimes profiling is what's called good police work. Uh, we all do it. We all, we all, when I'm driving and I see a dude in his car and I see the back of his head, I can make a lot of fucking assumptions on how he's driving and whether or not he's going to signal. Like an old dude with a hat. Do it all the time. I do it all the time. You and see, I go, like, I got to speed by this guy. A, yep. I got to beat my hat. horn before I go by because he might just swerve in because he's a right. fucking dummy. You know what I'm saying? So, th some of this is just being a human being. And again, it's how our minds work. And we probably all share very similar thought patterns with even our enemies or even the people we don't like. Right. But pr being like being a Jewish person, it's really cheap, mm. like super cheap. But like, that comes that's, from. That's different. It, Isn't it? No, because that's characteristic. The way I would look at it is this. So I'd say you'd say a Jew, that Jewish person is cheap, right? And I would say what I would look at is I'd say, well, hold on for a second. If you've been a Jew, you have a history and we can go back thirty five hundred years. But let's just go back. Uh, I don't know. Let's go back two thousand years. You got a history of yeah, a but lot of people about in their 20s. No, doesn't matter. Listen, you got a lot of people blaming the Jews for killing Christ, right? And so usually if you look at history, especially European history, they were either kicked out or they were killed. So what happens is if you don't have a homeland, if you don't have a homeland and you're a Jew, all right? But they don't they have on. a homeland? No, but yeah, but that's very recent. What is that? 1948? Yeah. So so as a Jew, when you actually don't have, you know, a country. I'm just, you know, as an right. example. Guess what your security is? Your fucking security at the end of the day is how thick your wallet is because money, money is how you survived. You know the reason that a That's lot of Jews, point. the reason Jews were into the jewelry trade? Diamonds? Well, diamonds are something you could pick up, put in a pouch and run the fuck away really quickly. You could transport your wealth. So they, they were like, well, we're kept out of banking. We're kept out of all these things, but we can make clothing. And we can, and we're jewelers. And they came to this country, those immigrants came to this country with those two skills. The mm. Irish came to this country with, hey, I got two hands, I can work a farm. 
What do you need me to do? The Jews were like, I, uh, I can make fucking really nice clothes and I can label them and I can get you to think that they're even nicer because I understand a little bit about marketing. Oh, and by the way, I got diamonds. They, they, there, were, there were certain things that they were forced into and they came to this country and they had a skill set. So I look at that and I go, ooh, that's just cultural residue. That's just cultural mm, residue. Cultural you were, residue. You were taught that that's how you get ahead. And you were taught that keeping holding on to your money is, by the way, also a way to ensure your survival. So the more you learn about, you know, the more you learn about a people's history, the more you learn about our biology, the more we learn about brain science, I think, the more compassionate it makes us. Well, that's also why a lot of people feel that some Asian folks are bad drivers because they're used to minding their own business, not looking left and right. And when they walk, they walk straight ahead and they bump into each other all the time. That's great. That's <laughs> fucking great. <laughs> that's, that's what it great. is. That's I mean, great. Well, a friend of mine who's Chinese actually sense. was explaining this to me. Mm. He's like, if you go to China and you walk down the street, he goes, people just bounce off each other like they bumper sure cars. Yeah. And he goes, and it's not offensive. It's no. just what they're doing. They're not doing it on purpose. It's just like when you're dealing with billions of people, mm-hmm. like this is how you do it. Yeah. You just you got to gotta plow forward. Have you ever seen intersections in China? Yes. Have you ever seen videos of intersections? Mm-hmm. It's fucking terrifying. It's insanity. It's fucking terrifying. It's chaos. It's well, ants. It looks Italy like, was know. terrifying. Mm-hmm. Italy was, t- they, they drive like fucking savages in Italy. Yeah. I mean, there's these roundabouts where we're walking, we're driving into the roundabout. We're like, oh, Jesus. And the driver just like skillfully maneuvers around this. But like, look at this. Look at that. I love look it. Look at this I love it. fucking it's madness. amazing. Yeah. They, but they and figure it, it out. It Look, they left, they right, they they zoom around each other. They're driving slowly, and yeah. they're all making their own. So at 25 miles an hour, they say anything below 25 miles an hour, human beings are very good at navigating. Yeah, you know that's a good example. And this is kind of a weird overhead view, but I love it. Though. This is this is actually manageable. But I've seen some shit that. Just doesn't look manageable. You also see people die in those intersections. Oh yeah. Well, how about the people that are walking? They just walk across the street yeah. and pray that people avoid them. Yeah. Like oh, you get God hit. damn it. Yeah. I mean, there's guy, yeah. a lot of cultures that have their own little thing that they do to sort of deal with the numbers mm-hmm. that they're dealing with. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you see that in America, too. One of the things that I really like about small towns, when I go to a small, like I was in Bozeman, Montana recently. There's only 35,000 residents of Bozeman, Montana. It's a great town. And everybody drives really nice. Everybody's like fucking super yeah. chill. Yeah. There's not that many people. Yeah. See, people are like real easy going, let everybody, and I realize like, what you're dealing with in Los Angeles, like I felt it the moment I got off the plane when I went from Montana to here. The moment you get here, you're like, you gotta go, gotta go, cut this guy off, get ahead, get ahead. Like there's a, a feeling in the air. And they did a study. And one of the things that they did this study on was they put up cameras in cities and they measured the amount of footsteps that people take. Like how quickly they walk. And then they measured how, how many syllables people say in a minute, how quickly they talk. And through those two numbers, they were able to accurately estimate how many people lived in that city down God. to like a thousand. God, I love that stuff. Yeah, like God, if that's you have a shitload of people, people walk faster and they talk faster. Yeah. If you have less people, 
they slow down. Well, Gail Collins, who's a columnist in the New York Times, always says that right wing and left wing people, she goes, it's all about space. When you're, uh, when you're, is, you become right? more of a socialist when you have to contend with all your neighbors. So you yeah. live in a building and, they, and you, it requires cooperation. Yep. It requires waiting in line. Yeah. It requires all these things. When you live in Bozeman, Montana, and you have, uh, you know, all that space, you can preach self reliance. You can sort of talk about the value of, you know, sovereignty, personal sovereignty self-reliance and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So it does play a real factor in your psychology. It's but, like... Yeah. No, go ahead, go ahead. No, I was going to say Malcolm Gladwell in his book, uh, he said... Uh, when I think it was Blink where you mentioned um, <laughs> when people would come to his office and if you mentioned Florida, raisins, and orange juice, people left the room a lot slower. Do you know why? Why? Because they thought of old people and retirement. Whoa! And so it played a factor in their gait. They left the they left the fucking they office. They were less inspired. They walked down the aisle. Well, they walked down the hallway more measured because they they you put the idea of an old person in their brain. Well, that's and it, what I was going to say is this is where the role of colleges mm-hmm. are very interesting because colleges sort of throw a monkey wrench into that because colleges take a small town and turn it very liberal mm. which ordinarily would not be that way you're dealing with small rural environments you usually deal with conservative populations that are christian and you know they're into fucking you know republican sort of ideas well there's and- also something else about liberal towns they're little small liberal towns like you're talking about i don't think they, they turn them liberal what they really do is they take away any existential threat for the most part they make those towns super safe there are a lot of rules that would penalize anybody for example young men for misbehaving by punching each other in the face or imposing their aggression on a weaker group of people i think that's also what how i characterize a liberal small academic town they are safe for the most part safe environments for you to figure the world out and express yourself do, do you know what i'm saying yeah by that? yeah safe for like boulder's a good example of exactly that. yeah boulder blood sugar sort of you know yeah yeah, yeah well it's not i wouldn't say low blood sugar because there's a lot of like fitness going on there mm-hmm. boulder's one of the fittest towns in the world That's like true, per actually. capita yeah. Like, a lot of people have low body fat. They're hiking yeah, all the time. Good-looking people. And they're in a fantastic environment, like, as far as, like, the, the, the natural beauty of the land around them. And they take advantage of it. They're always hiking and biking and shit. But, but you don't have to worry about things like, you know, a crime. shootout. and right. Like, my yeah, friend yeah. who grew up in the hood said that he would—he knew, he knew when something was about to happen. And I said, what do you mean? He said, the air changed. And— your friend I might said, be an idiot. No, no, no. He said, he said, he's no. He said, he said, because what happens is. In all fairness, in, in, a lot no, of your friends are idiots. No, no. He, he grew up in the hood and he said he had a lot of his friends killed. White guy? No, no, no. Black guy. He had a lot of oh. his friends killed. And he said, what I would notice and everybody would notice is that when a, the shootout was about to happen or, the, or a fight was about to break out, he said there was almost like this, like whatever it was imagined or not, there would be this calm before the storm. The mm. air would change. Things would settle. And then, boom, something would happen. And he said, everybody felt that. He said, because we, we were talking about how my friend walked through the savannah with his wife, who grew up in Kenya. And his wife knew everything about it. She was like, don't worry about the lions. She knew everything. She knew Ooh. animal behavior until she saw what animal? What? Guess. Hyenas? Nope. People? Nope. Monkeys? 
water buffalo. Ooh. And she looked at her husband and she said, climb that tree right fucking now. And he said, I knew when she told me to climb the tree because there were lions. And she said, don't worry. But when she said climb the tree, I climbed that fucking tree because it was a water buffalo. She knew her environment. And just like he, he would walk through the hood and he was safe. He knew it. He knew how to navigate. But he also knew when something was about to happen. There's a great Jim Shockey show. Jim Shockey's this really famous conservationist and big game hunter from Canada. Really interesting guy. But he's got this great show called Uncharted. And uh, it's kind of a hunting show, but not really. It's more of an exploration of culture because mm. he travels to all these different countries and he, he really like gets deeply embedded in their country and in their culture. And he goes to these strange lands in the middle of nowhere in Russia and or in Soviet Union or former Soviet Union. Um, and uh, he he spent a lot of time in Africa as well. Like he's done a bunch of shows in Africa. Like. Uh, they actually brought him in to kill crocodiles that were killing people in this village. Damn. And the people in the village, man, it was fucking horrific. You would, you would, they would go through this village with cameras, and people would be showing like this guy's missing an arm, this guy's missing a leg, this guy has a bite taken out of his head. Damn. Like everyone, Jesus. like all these people, everyone knew they had someone. To get their water down there. Yeah, yeah. Everybody knew while they were there, while they were there filming this, a woman got taken away by a crocodile. While, I mean, it's just a constant, Good complete God, that's threat. Terrifying. And. They were not scared of anything like they were scared of buffaloes. Those fucking Cape buffaloes, water buffaloes. They're like these goddamn things, these grass eating monsters. Yeah. Because they have to fight lions all the time. So mm -hmm. they're just, they, they fuck and they fight lions off. Mm -hmm. And they're just jacked to the tits. I mean, if you look at them, you're like, what is that thing eating? It must be yeah. eating like steroids. Don't and, they weigh 3,000 pounds? Oh, they're fucking enormous. They're yeah. enormous. They're huge, huge and lions, animals. Lions are the biggest assholes because they'll eat their balls while they're on them. They take their they testicles. go for the balls. First thing they eat is their balls and their dick. Really? Yep, because they're behind them. So you got one on your back, and then they're like, mm, 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 mm. go for the ball. Well, it's probably easy to tear loose. Of course, it right? Is. It's a good, yeah. good bite. Good old. It sucks being a water buffalo. Oh, it sucks being a lion too, man. Yeah, it does. Fuck that. Yeah. Running around killing shit with your face all day. Yeah, that's all you can do. <laughs> you don't have a store. You don't have a Na credit nature, card. Nature, nature is fucking. Oh, it's brutal. fucked. Nature it's is fucked. brutal. We've, we've, human beings have always. It's been a constant war against nature. Actually, it, it's always been. How do you Not harness just nature? Beings. How do you chain it? Yeah. Pretty much every animal that exists every animal that exists is in a I mean, even lions are in a constant war with constant, other lions constant like their reign of terror is so fucking insanely brief they got a couple years where they run the pride and then some new lion comes That's along right. and kills them yeah even like or great, bites even, them so fucked up that they have they're, they're forced to leave even great whites great whites yeah. they played uh they had they this guy uh paul de who did our podcast fighter and kid and he uh he ended up uh, losing his arm and his hand and his leg oh, to a bull shit. shark in Sydney Bay. In oh Sydney Bay. He goes to punch the shark. Bull sharks are brutal. Yeah. He goes to punch the shark and he goes, oh, I don't have a hand left. And then almost died and all that. But um, he what, was what saying. What does he have on his arm now? Does he have a prosthesis? Yeah, it's amazing prosthesis, which can close and Was open. it a carbon fiber one? I Is think it so. It's like $90,000. Whoa. And, uh, and, but he was an Australian Navy SEAL jack dude, you know, like a handsome guy. And just, you know, there he was, lost his arm and leg. But, um, um, he was talking about how um, uh, they played. They had there was an area where all these great whites, I guess, bull sharks and stuff, and they played uh, the sound of orcas. They played the sound the of water? what they make when they're hunting. Oh Jesus! And they said that fucking sharks didn't come near that area for six months. <laughs> they were just like, "See ya, I'm out of here." And then what hunts them? Us. Yeah, we yeah. fuck up the orcas. Yeah, it's 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 a constant battle, and it always has been. And I always wonder, like, is that battle? I mean, 
it, it's sort of necessary. It seems like with the natural world, I mean, obviously we're striving towards some higher state of existence. Mm-hmm. Everyone is. I mean, I think that's where Buddhists come from and meditation comes from and veganism comes from. And, and meat I, that doesn't I, have a central nervous sure. system. Yeah. Utopian ideologies and all these yeah. thoughts about what, what we're trying to do is whether misguided or not, we're, we're trying to strive towards improvement. I mean, and that, that is the state of life. And it's also the state of nature. I mean, there's, there has to be some sort of a balance of power with, with animals that are herbivores and animals that are carnivores. Like, they're talking about bringing in cougars on the east coast of the United States. To deal with it. Because they have too many deer. Yeah. They have too many deer. Yeah. You know, and um, it's a really fascinating subject because it, it, it's a better idea than bringing in wolves. Well, bringing, wolves are very hard to they, – they tend to be wholesale with their slaughter, right? Not only that, they do a lot of fun killing. Mm-hmm. They like to they fun hunt. kill. Yeah. yeah, they they do what they call surplus hunting. That video I showed you, where I shot that deer in London, yeah. in England, like the, an you hour and a half. Shot a deer out, in London. Uh, an hour and a half. What are you outside doing? Of, an hour outside of London. You're hunting in someone's yard. Well, my buddy owns this giant. My buddy, you know, he made a lot of money. He said, "I said, where's your property?" And he goes, "Well, can you see down there?" I go. I look, he goes, and can you look that way? And basically, as far as I looked, it was all his. And he said, by law, he needs to kill 21 deer a year on his property because they, deer are such a problem, mm. you know, because there are no natural predators. Uh, there's another thing they they found out today. There's an article today. There was always these um, these myths about mountain lions being loose in England on the countryside. Really? Yeah. Huh. And it turns out it's true. It turns out it came from a zoo that just admitted recently that they released these pumas. Wow. They released these fucking mountain lions that they had in captivity. So the people had, like, they're, you know, they'd been ridiculed. Like, oh, someone took away a big cat, took away my sheep. Oh, this motherfucker's drinking. No, they, they were telling the truth. These fucking mountain lions were released in the 1980s. That's amazing. In the countryside in England. Damn. Yeah. It's seems fucking like, crazy. Seems like they could zoo. live in all that forest. Well, if as long as here it goes, the beast of Dartmoor. That's how you say it. Dartmoor mystery solved. As zoo admits it released pumas into the wild in the 1980s. So it was one, that was one of those things. That, I think it was on that show Monster Quest, <clears throat> where they were trying God, to figure animals. out. Look at how oh, awesome they're amazing, they are. amazing, man. They're amazing. And you know, my my buddy has a, a 70 pound. Or seventy-five pound German Shepherd, like a bite train that you know, it's a complete badass dog. And I was looking at it, and if you look at the size of that thing's head, it may be seventy-five pounds, doesn't look like much. Good luck fighting that thing off. I've I've seen that hit, thing hit a sleeve, and it's it's horrific how powerful they are. Mountain lions get up to what, one hundred and fifty pounds? They can get bigger than Twice that. Twice that it's size. Ra- it's rare, but also they're cats, and <laughs> cats are just way more agile. I got a great story about mountain lions. A friend of mine is a um, a guide, an elk hunting guide in Colorado, and he said that they found these tracks of this mountain lion. They have to kill a certain amount of mountain lions on their property because they have this gigantic ranch, and you know they just they they have a certain amount of tags that they have to fill or they they should fill, and um, so you know they try to control the populations of mountain lions. So they were trying to find this mountain lion, they're tracking this mountain lion, they track these tracks and they saw elk tracks and they saw mountain lion tracks and then they saw only elk tracks. Ooh. Because the mountain lion had jumped on the back of this fucking gigantic 900 pound bull elk wow. and rode it for 150 yards and then taken it down. Damn. So this 150 Damn. pound cat who they wound up killing 
had killed this, you know, close to a thousand pound elk. That is unreal, man. But when they found it, the fucking mountain lion was on the elk and the elk was down. And then, you know, they followed the tracks of this elk running with this cat on its back. The thing just leaped. Imagine being something like a person, you know, you weigh 170 pounds. Yeah. Like like a cat, a cat weigh hundred. And you decide, oh, I'm going to jump on that thousand pound horse and kill it with my face yeah yeah <laughs> and their canines have sensors apparently where they can sense where the jugular is yeah. so they keep adjusting their grip oh god good god man. well it's nature man nature is just so creepy and it's it's ways of adjusting life to, to life. life my friend andreas antonopoulos uh my my friend the bitcoin expert explained this to me last weekend in vegas ducks have three foot long dicks that curl and twist because the the female vaginas have adapted to fight off rape, duck rape. Yeah. So they have these pussies that are the, these fucking labyrinths, these twisty, turny, labyrinth pussies. And they can choose to let sperm in or not let sperm in with their gigantic labyrinth pussies and these three foot long duck dicks. When you see a duck's dick, you're like, that is not real. Look at that duck's dick. That's it's a drawing. Nuts. That's a drawing, but there's actual photograph. That's an actual photograph of a duck dick. What in the fuck? Damn. That's like a person with like a 15-foot-long dick. Yeah. Ducks are tiny, man. Of course, true dick. Like a person with a three-foot dick is a monster. Yeah. But a duck with a three-foot-long dick is totally standard. That's a dick. That's a limp That's one. That's a real dick. That's a guy's little, little dick. He gets shamed by the other ducks. Poor guy. Yeah, I mean, duck dicks are ridiculous. They are a, it's a fucking ridiculous animal. What a, what I, a knew, crazy I knew that ducks. I knew that ducks engaged in rape or gang rape. Oh, that's all they do. Yeah. That's the only way they, they gang fuck. up on one. But female. Look how look how the the female's vagina has sort of adapted to deal with the male raping. You know, they've created these bizarre pathways in their pussies. When you when you listen to Dan Carlin's uh, Wrath of the Cons or you read history. You know, and it was always, uh, here we come, we're knocking down your walls, and we're selling everybody into slavery. History is a, is, a, is a history of rape, right? So most women basically were like, ah, shit, walls yeah. are coming down, we're about to, our men are going to be killed, we're going to be raped. I mean, it right. just happened over and over and over. I, I would imagine that most of history is a story like that. And women were basically just forced to be taken by, you know, either a group of men or whatever. It's just like most of animal history. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's really, really, it's it's just brutal. It's really interesting how, how I guess women had to adapt and, and evolve. And 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 this woman wrote an article, and I can't remember her name because it was pretty controversial. And she said that because you know so much of history, women had no choice; they were forced upon by men. Uh, one of two things happened. First, they had to find the man who was the most aggressive and strong, who could protect them from the other men so for women to be attracted to aggression and strength is not so uncommon but the other really controversial thing she said was that there are cases where women are turned on by aggressive sex you know being held down or all that stuff and it's probably the fact that they had to evolve because otherwise they'd get injured if they didn't get lubricated you know, it's kind of like, I read that, I was wow. like, well, good luck with that. But that was, you know, she was a female anthropologist. I can't remember her fucking name. But I was like, well, boy, that if, can you imagine coming out with that article and 
And that's my. This is my thesis for uh, in anthropology in Amherst College. Everybody. I well, mean, it's a very right, objective right? thought process. Yeah. I mean, there's there's evolution. It's I mean, just yeah. evolution. Well, it's, it's, also, it's called evolving yeah. and dealing with aggression the way the ducks did. Well, and also dealing with the natural world that you find yourself in, which is just filled with danger and murder and constant warfare. I mean, that's that's what people did. That's yes. all people did. I mean, there was states of peace interrupted by war. Yeah. And states of peace. I mean, Genghis Khan killed in his... His children and his armies killed 10% of the population of the world during his lifetime. That's amazing. There's a New York Times article they wrote where they were saying that he altered the carbon footprint of human beings on Earth, a measurable altering of the carbon footprint because it killed so many people. Like you could measure the difference in the amount of people that were there before him and after him by core samples. Yeah. Like. Well, you know, I mean, Hitler did something similar in the Russian countryside. He killed entire villages because he was trying to clear an area for, you know, sort of the migration of the German peoples. The the idea that, you know, let's get rid of these sort of people that think and talk differently and let's create a a utopia. Well, what Genghis Khan did that was so fucked up is he did it all before there was even guns. Yeah, I mean, I mean they were Jesus doing it with Christ. bows and arrows. They killed hand, somewhere, hand. somewhere in the neighborhood of fifty to seventy million people yeah. while he was alive. Well, he he said, I think what he said was really neat. I never forgot. He said the the Romans would create a wasteland and call it peace, and to an extent, the you know the 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 Khan, the Genghis Khan did the same thing. Well, not only that, what's interesting is how history looks at them now. That's one of the things that George, that. Dan Carlin was talking about. Carlin was talking about how people st- tend to look in the future. They'll look at, and he he was actually using it in, in in terms of like, would people do this with the Nazis? That they would, when enough time has passed, you can say, well, he cleared the road for trade to the east. Yeah, yeah. You know? Well, what was the what was the silver lining in in massive genocide? Yeah, words, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And that, very the, controversial. But of course, with everything. It goes back to exactly what we were talking about, where yeah. where when you come up in the ghetto, you might just create Miles Davis. I mean, there's right. a lot of heartache and terrible things, and from shit is the brightest flower, that kind of stuff. Yeah, but, and once there's enough time passed, then you can sort of look at it with this distance, yeah. and you can kind of objectively look at it and go, well, you know, here's the benefit of that. Here's the silver lining. Where that doesn't really hold up, though, is if you look at where the bulk of innovation and uh, art artistic expression on a high level came out of it came out of free societies i mean look at what sparta left behind nothing and look at what athens left behind right look well, at well, what, sort of you know, but sparta left behind a deep history of warriors mythology today, yeah yeah but, but nothing you can really hang your hat on in other words story and and uh, talk about hardship and separating a child from his mother and all that stuff uh, but gerard in, butler 300 <laughs> and kicking people into wells yeah but the, yes it, it it's the sparta. there's a there's a myth Mythology that a warrior ethos that you can you know kind of I'm a Spartan but but Athens the Acropolis right. and the writings of all the of butt the great, fucking, you know, right? the philosophy the butt fucking uh, <laughs> the idea of demos democracy yeah. demos the people the, these are these are ideas that still live on and were built upon you know uh, look at look at in today's world the amount of innovation that's coming out of a peaceful society and a society that respects other people's ideas and a society that to 
to, for the most part, um, at least from a historical perspective, gives a great deal of freedom and a benefit to those that have the guts to come up with their own ideas. Well, that's the interesting aspect about what the United States is as this experiment and self-government and what it is, what, what it started off as, what it is currently, is that this is the most recent of countries. And it's also mm. the one that has overwhelmingly the most innovation, the most artistic uh, contributions. We're pioneers. There's so much that comes out of here mm -hmm. in terms of comedy, film. I mean, obviously the rest of the world has its contributions. I'm not saying that the United States is the best. I mean, the Beatles came out of England. There's a lot of amazing works of art that come out of all over the world. But this country is a hotbed of artistic expression by far and, and by innovation far, yeah by far uh, in a way the biggest and it's the most recent yeah. now the oldest country that we know of the cradle of civilization is the Middle East yeah Iraq and that's Babylon. those are the townies of the world hmm. this is this is the, a thought that I've been bouncing around for a long time like this is the reason why those places are so fucked up is because this the echoes of savages the echoes of these ancient people are still in this area. It's so difficult. Like, you got to get out of the fucking town, man. You got to leave the town. Well, but see, the, the great tragedy is that, you know, and they've done a lot of studies on why do some nations, why do some nations fail and why do some nations uh, become prosperous? And you can break it down into a number of things. You can see the problem with the Middle East is it, for a thousand reasons we can get into. And a lot of it was just a foreign invasion and, and foreign meddling and stuff like that. But how about Genghis Khan? Yes. I mean, who, what he did to Baghdad in 1260. Yeah. You know? Well, they say that to this day, Baghdad maybe still hasn't recovered from mm -hmm. them invading mm -hmm. and kill. They said that the rivers ran red with blood mm -hmm. and ink. Mm -hmm. Black with ink, mm -hmm. like all the amazing works. The like, libraries burned and everything. Yeah, else. The Islamic scholars throughout history were like innovators. They were like the, huge contributions. The of, yes. Math, philosophy, mm -hmm. yeah. of course. Yeah. And 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 the, the, a lot of people say that the Middle East has never even recovered. Has never right. quite recovered from that. But you know, there are so many important things for why a nation. You know, for example, one is that your political parties that lose live to see another day. That is very important. When you lose an election in a lot of countries, like the hardliners, and somebody said to me, I said, why are the hardliners in Iran such a pain in the ass? He goes, because if they lose, they will die. That's a very important thing mm. to keep in mind. So when you have power and your survival depends on holding on to power, you're going to have a secret police that basically is pretty brutal when, when they sniff any kind of insurrection. This country is pretty amazing. What's so unique about the United States is after the Revolutionary War, after every Revolutionary War, the country always breaks into civil war, always. And the Founding Fathers had incredible restraint and wisdom to, to allow the election after that war to go as it would. They didn't resort to violence. That's so unique in history. But, but our country and the UK and Australia and Canada and a couple other countries, when you lose, as a, the democracy is built on the idea that when your political party loses, you, you lived to see another day and fight on. Very important. The other is property rights. You need property rights. The other is courts that mean something. And the other is the scientific method. You have to embrace the scientific method. A society has to say that it's not about superstition. This is not a theology. Let's, let's base reality on what you can measure and what you can see. That's, those things are so fucking important. If you don't have those, those central principles as a through line, 
if that's not the scaffolding of your society, you're not going to do you're just not going to do as well as a country like the United States. You're not going to have people that innovate because there's no fucking incentive. There's no incentive in it. You're not going to benefit from it. You could get it stolen or you could be killed because you think differently or all those things. Well, also, you're not safe enough to innovate. Yeah. You don't have the, the ability to express yourself. You don't have the ability to take chances. Yeah. So the irony, yeah. the ironic thing is when you're sensitive and nice to people, when you're empathetic and when you're respectful of other people, even the ones you, don't dis- you disagree with, you make a stronger society. Yeah. Your society is stronger in every way, including militarily. Including you have more innovation with military, with, with, with weaponry. And on that note. God, I'm smart, guys. Did you, you write that fucking, shit down? You're amazing. If you want to hear a, more. You have your own podcast? I got more on podcast. And by the way, I'm taking that podcast on the road with a guy named Brendan Schaub. Oh, that's a different podcast. Oh, no, this is. Yeah, yeah. But let's talk about the fighter and kid for a second. Because oh. Brendan, Brendan will beat me up if I don't talk about this. What? July 29th. July 29th. He hits me. He strikes me with an open hand. Oh. He, he pulls my pants down and spanks me. And you know he could. And I couldn't do anything about it. And I've tried. <laughs> I've tried to fight him. And it bothers me. Because. Sometimes I get jumpy with him. I get jumpy and I'll get underhooks on him. He's and a giant. No, no, no. He's he's weird. He's weird, giantie. He he. I tried. I well, said you're kind of tiny, dude. Don't use that word. Just say medium. All right. Just say medium. Kind of medium, I guess. I said the other day. I said I don't believe you could. I I don't believe if we were to go take them mm. for takedown. And I tried to do a little upper body Greco with him. Yeah. Yeah. And it didn't go well. And I got so flustered and hurt. I actually tweaked my neck that I left my wallet and my phone on my fucking car. I let, and you drove I off let Brendan's and, yeah. brother drive my car. And I, yeah. You and smashed I, yeah, your phone. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I have, we've been talking about that recently that I think that people have a massive o- overestimation, massive of what they can and can't do with their body. Oh, and that's, we, we, we hang around Brendan's shop, hang around Brendan's shop. Forget Brendan's shop. We, we played this video of these people that put on these, uh, gigantic uh, balloon suits and let bulls hit them. What? You haven't seen this? No. We'll, we'll end on this. Okay. It's fucking insane that these people I want to see this. Do this. But I think people have this idea in their head that, oh, the bull's coming. I'm going to be fine. I'll just fucking get out of the way. You don't realize. Like, they have, they massively overestimate what they can and can't do with their body, how they Jesus. can move their body. I got to see this. Oh, By the way, God. while we're watching this, July 29th, 30th, Phoenix Stand Up Live we're there. We still have some tickets left. Live Fighter and the Kid podcast show. It's a show. Me and Brennan Shaw. Brennan Shaw will be doing new stand-up. I'm very excited. Watch this. So right. these assholes. Look at this. No. Yeah. Meanwhile, Get out of their here. legs. Like, say goodbye to your ACL. Look at this. Watch this. Boom! Boom! Holy cow. I mean, these are massive, massive animals. Bulls are so mean. And meanwhile, they just eat grass. He looks like he's not hurt. I wonder if bulls would be nicer if they had a steak. Wait for it. Yeah, because it gets worse. Like, this guy, he's like, oh, Jesus, man. This is fucked up. This is just, just started. Meanwhile, people are laughing. This is what people in rural environments do. Yeah. They laugh. They, oh, man. Dude, I go would, get I him. would never go, do boom! this. Boom! Oh, Look at the my fucking Lord. air that guy got. The air that gentleman oh, got. Oh, my Lord. Yeah, that guy is fucked. And he hit him again while he's out cold. I mean, that dude flew. Through the air. Flew. Uh, oh! What about your legs, bro? <laughs> One more time. Boom! Exactly. Well, it seems like that bull doesn't have horns. They probably sawed their Good horns God. off. God! But whatever. That's not saving you. I, I might have to Boom. do that, but I don't have the guts. No, you shouldn't do that. Well, there's other ones. This is one that we looked at. They figured out a way to do it better. Okay. And the better one is a much larger ball. 
where you're completely encased <gasps> yes, in the ball. Yes, that's better. Your legs. <laughs> you can't have it from your fucking waist no. down because your legs are like super flexible or uh, super weak. Yeah, like the, I don't the want my, my, my knees getting broken yeah. by a, a bull's head. And they will get broken by Ooh. a bull's head. They'll get Ooh. mangled. See if you find the one. Yeah, you got the other one. There's... Oh, you don't? Okay. There, well, there's there's other videos of them doing it where they figure, well, this is it's not safe enough. We got to get a much larger ball. Much, much larger ball. you hear the people in the audience? That's what happens when you get a bunch of farmers and they're drunk and yeah. they, they just wind up fucking each other. Yeah. On the sneak tip. Well, I don't know if they keep fucking each other. They Why do you have to bring each it other there? like crazy, those people. There's <laughs> no one around. There's like fucking 30 people in the town. They're all fucking each other's wives. Of course. Snaking around. Hey, I don't think your husband's a true Christian. You know, uh, I just see the way he talks to you and just makes me feel terrible about it. Oh, I don't feel... Uh, can you rub my neck? Next thing you know, <laughs> you fucking... Kids ah, got red hair. Farted? No, that's cum. Oh, God. I don't, that so much cum. I don't like, make that noise when I come. I just a go, lot of cum. No, I'm like, it's you're welcome. Like, this is for you. You've earned it. Oh, 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 I fart and cum at the same time. Take it, my nectar. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right, guys. Good night, everybody. It's Phoenix Life. See ya. Oh, July, yeah. Uh, Brian Callen. and 30th. Brian Callen, Brennan Shop. B-R-Y-A-N Callen. There's probably some yeah. asshole pretending to be Brian. That's B-R-I-A-N Callen. Yeah, Is there? Is there an I-A-N? Probably. That probably. bastard. Probably uh, come, come see me in Oxnard, too. Where are you in Oxnard? Uh, Levity, Levity oh, the Live. New, the new club. Yeah. Off, yeah. August oh, dude. 4th and 5th. That's going to be great. August 4th and 5th. Those Levity Joe clubs Rogan's are always the shit. Joe Rogan's opening for me. Rogan's opening. Okay. What day? August 4th and 5th. Can you come? Um, let me find out. Let me find out what I'm yeah, doing. Yeah, it could be. All right, you fucks. See you soon. Bye. Bye.